And good morning, New York sports fans, or should I say good evening for those of you guys still out and about. Uh, driving in, I saw some interesting Halloween costumes. I saw Woody and Buzz getting into a taxi right outside here in lower Manhattan. I'm Danielle McCartan, McCartan After Midnight. I've been talking all things New York sports with you until 6 a.m. on this early Sunday morning, or like I said, late Saturday night. I'm coming to you live from the Mike Francesa studio in Lower Manhattan, and we are one hour into Sunday, October 27, 2019. We're going to be together a lot tonight, you and me. I'm here till 6 a.m. I have a manual behind the glass. He's ready, willing, and able to take your phone call. So you guys know the number, 877-337-6666. Let's load him up with your best Yankees, Mets, Giants, Jets, Knicks, and Nets. I got to also have a very special guest for you later. The Yes Network's very own Chris Sheeran to talk some Knicks and Nets. The troll job by the Nets, giving away the number 11 Irving jersey. That was a great giveaway. I wish I was there for that. My brother told me he did not want to go with me. Okay. R.J. Barrett's trajectory in in Knicks blue and orange. And the Kyrie Irving effect and much more. So that's coming up a little bit later. And as far as the Yankees are concerned. There's no way I can save you. Because I need to be saved too. So the Yankees certainly are not good at goodbyes. And, of course, that's Post Malone. The Yankees are not playing in the World Series tonight after losing in, let's say, cruel, heartbreaking, rip-your-heart-out fashion to the Houston Astros a few days ago. When DJ LeMayhew hit that home run in the top of the ninth that barely made it over the fence and barely made it out of the glo- uh, past the glove of the outfielder diving into the stands almost, you had the sense that the Yankees were mounting a comeback to maybe eventually take that game. But the momentum shifted, and you felt it. And all the way back on your couch in New York, you felt that the Yankees, after that momentum shift, were going to take that game. But Jose Altuve, he had another idea. With one swing of the bat, he ended the Yankee season One which, let's be honest, everybody listening, the Yankees were expected to still be playing in the Fall Classic tonight in Washington, D.C. And with one swing of the bat, Jose Altuve sent his Astros into orbit to the World Series and the Yankees universe spiraling into oblivion. With more questions than answers for a team that Brian Cashman said in the closing press conference, and this is a quote, He said, first and foremost, did we have a championship team? This was a championship caliber team, end quote. The essential questions surrounding the Yankees offseason, well, I have eight of them, believe it or not. One, which free agents do they bring back? And I'm sure this is what this is going to be about tonight on every single phone call. Which free agents do they bring back? Aaron Hicks to have Tommy John surgery out eight to ten months. He's going to miss significant time next season. Can the Yankees, yeah, I, I, here's my question. Can the Yankees find a suitor to take on Giancarlo Stanton's contract, and do they want to? Four, how much are they willing to spend on any of the top-flight starting pitchers on the market this winter? Because there are a few. Five, did Didi Gregorius, the heir to shortstop after Derek Jeter, play his last game in pinstripes in a loss? Six, Why did Aaron Judge and Gary Sanchez average a combined 134 of the runners in scoring position this ALCS? 
Seven, does we have a great bullpen strategy really work? Eight, which, if any, prospects and or young players is Cashman finally willing to part with? And these are just the top eight questions that just popped into my mind as I sat and I thought about this. And for a championship-caliber team, the Yankees have a lot of important moves to make or not to make as the weather turns colder. And the New York Jets. The New York Jets and Sam Darnold. He ain't afraid of no ghost. According to sources, almost certainly Sam Darnold has placed a call to the Ghostbusters on this last weekend before Halloween. The Monday massacre at the Meadowlands has injected nightmares into the dreams of Jets fans, players, and coaches alike. On pace to lose 68 nothing at the end of that first quarter to the cutoff sweatshirt maniacal scientist Bill Belichick, the football gods showed mercy and spared the Jets in only a 33-0 defeat on national television. One in which, as you know and as you've heard all week, mic'd up quarterback Sam Darnold admitted seeing ghosts in the Patriots' defense. Now, a shrewd Jacksonville Jaguars fan would show up wearing a bedsheet costume later today on this eve of Halloween, asking for a treat from Saxonville's defense. And for this reason, Darnold is sure to see some ghosts at TIAA Bankfield, although hopefully for the Jets, they aren't on the field. And perhaps still yet to be seen, quarterback whisperer Adam Gase Maybe he should change his nickname to Ghost Whisperer if the Jets can pull out a W at the bewitching hour later today. I know everything will be alright. I'll be here waiting. I promise I'm And the Giants. I just need with an almost identical record to the ghoulish Jets. The Giants still aren't like Humpty Dumpty. They are not put back together again. They're gonna need some time. That's a time by a, a band or group called NF. Sterling Shepard, the final piece of the puzzle on offense, is listed as out. He's still in concussion protocol. Cor- Corey Ballantyne, the rookie cornerback from Washburn, was the, who was selected in the sixth round, 180 overall by the New York Giants, I think has some serious potential. And with a potential move of Janoris Jenkins, there is a market for him. Ballantyne would have many weeks to grow into his own over, over the remainder of the season if the Giants decide that they are going to move Janoris Jenkins. But all that, however, is on hold because he too is in concussion protocol and he's listed out for later today versus the Lions. So the Giants deserve some time to come back together again to gel, in my opinion, before any real judgment can be passed onto head coach Pat Shermer. There's been a lot of tumultuous moves in, in uh, East Rutherford for the Giants. And uh, I, I just don't think it's fair just yet because of obviously the main reason being the switch from Manning to Jones. Because unlike his counter- counterpart, across the bowels of MetLife Stadium, Adam Gase, Shermer has more of a clue. But he's simply playing Texas Hold'em with the short deck. So Giants fans, hold your judgment for now. Focus on the development of your young quarterback who needs some time to grow. And as far as the Mets are concerned, so Mets fans are waiting 
on the Mets to make their managerial selection. And I feel like this is a post Malone opening opening here, but they, they, the songs fit because the Mets are well going around in circles, it seems, and who seem like the front runner to the job. The most experienced candidate among all those that the Mets called back for a second round of interviews. Joe Girardi signed a three-year deal with the Philadelphia Phillies earlier this week. The World Series winning manager elected to work with Aaron Nola, Bryce Harper, and JT Realmuto over Jacob deGrom, Pete Alonso, and Jeff McNeil. And all Mets fans are still scratching their heads about that choice. But maybe it wasn't about the talent at all. But maybe it had everything to do with upper management. I mean... How else could you justify the Mets swinging and missing on the only sure thing candidate at that whole list, short list that they had? And not only did Joe Girardi not sign with the Mets, but he signed in the NL East and the Mets play the Phillies like a million times. So Girardi will continue to remind the Mets over and over about the mistake they made in not choosing him. And furthermore, the non-selection of Joe Girardi has further exacerbated the level of distrust between Mets fans and upper management, including with hotshot Hollywood GM Brody Van Wagenen. And a quick perusal of Mets Twitter, and you'll find it everywhere. And if the Mets plan to choose a manager, listen to this, with zero managerial experience at the major league level, which, by the way, fits all five remaining known candidates, then... My question is, I think it's legitimate, why not let Mickey Callaway play out his third and final year of his contract? I mean, we always talk about players doing well in contract years. And if players seem to get the best production out of their contract year, quote-unquote, does it work the same for managers, maybe? And who possibly is that bombshell candidate? Well, maybe there isn't one at all. Andy Martino tweeted at 9.08 a.m. on October 22nd about this mystery candidate. Two days later, the Phillies announced their selection of Joe Girardi, the number one target for Mets fans. And so maybe this bombshell candidate is just a distraction created to divert attention from the fact that the Mets whiffed on the most experienced candidate of the bunch. And while football looks to be down and out here in New York, and baseball is definitely over by now, what else could you turn your attention to? Well, how about the Knicks and Nets? Sitting courtside, Knicks and Nets give me high five. I'll be spiked out. I could trip a referee. Tell by my attitude that I most definitely from. So there's been a lot of chatter, and I know this song is, is very well played out, but that was a perfect line because the Knicks and Nets played each other on Friday night, and there was a lot of chatter among the players on Twitter and in the media. And among really both teams in New York's basketball athletes. And we're finally going to settle the question here on McCartney After Midnight of which borough is actually cooler, Manhattan or Brooklyn? And as the Nets took round one of four this season in a newly ignited crosstown rivalry with the Knicks. And I'm with head coach Kenny Atkinson of the Nets. And he said, when he was asked about this rivalry, this new rivalry, and he said, What's best is that both teams in New York are good. And that's something I've been preaching all along. When the Mets and the Yankees are both good, it's great. When the Jets and Giants are both good, 
It's great. And how about now with the Knicks and Nets? And I have, I have a question for you guys because I'm from New Jersey. Would the Nets still have this degree of coolness that Brooklyn has instilled upon them if they still played in New Jersey? I mean, I admit, I'm still a conflicted New Jersey first fan. And as you know, the Jets and Giants both do play in New Jersey. And so, you know, when, when sports are good here in New York, it's good. And when basketball is, is good, it's going to be good for everybody because if you look at baseball and football in New York, it's, it's, uh, it's not the best scenario, especially for football. So let's hit the calls after the break. All is on the table. I cannot wait to talk with you guys. 877-337-6666. Call up Emmanuel. He's waiting for you. I'm Daniel McCartan. McCartan after midnight on The Fan. On The Fan, Sports Radio 66 and 1019 FM, WFAN New York. And everybody, I'm Daniel McCartan back with you on WFAN. It is 122 in the morning. And let's talk some New York Yankees. Now, after tonight, I mean, I took a nap before and I was actually able to sleep, so I missed a lot of the World Series. But I gather that the series is tied at 2-2, right? And what have the Nationals been able to do that the Yankees couldn't versus the Astros, especially in those first two games? And I did a deep dive. You should see all the charts I came up with and stats that I numbers and everything that I ran. And it, it was really that obvious. The Yankees could not hit with runners in scoring position. When the Nationals, even on a two-game skid, almost hit 100 points better than the Yankees versus the Astros. So, yes, there is the hitting element, especially with runners in scoring position. But there's also the pitching element. And for many years, some pretty adept Yankee fans have been calling for an ace. A number one, unmistakable, undoubtable number one if that's a word, undoubtable. Because while Tanaka's great and Severino's great, Paxton's coming into his own, who really is the number one starter? I mean, there there wasn't a clear-cut number one starter for the ALCS or or the ALDS. But if you had that guy, and Tanaka was that guy in game one, Aaron Boone pulled him after seven innings and what what was it, 68 pitches? That I'm still scratching my head about. I, I I totally still disagree with that. But if you have a pitcher that goes deep into into games, you don't need to obviously go into the bullpen as soon as Aaron Boone did, no matter what the analytics say. Mike in Manhattan, you're on the fan. Hello, Hi, Mike. Happy with J.D. Martinez, and also would you open the vault for uh, uh, Garrett Cole as a as a starting pitcher for the Yankees? Now you cut out for a second. Is that J.D. Martinez to the Yankees or to the Mets? To the Yankees. Okay. Um, so well, I mean, I'll take the J.D. Martinez first because you asked that first. I mean, J.D. Martinez is a fantastic player. I mean, the guy bats like a career. What is it? Three hundred for his career. He's fantastic. But like I said, when John Carlo Stanton came over, he's not what the Yankees need. He's not what the Yankees need. The Yankees need the starter, which leads into your next question. Garrett Cole, would you back the truck up? Thanks for the call, Mike. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I would back the truck up for Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole is as advertised. 
Well, except for that last game versus the Nationals. But he absolutely shut down the Yankees. I mean, the last game versus the Nationals, he had a 6.43 ERA and seven innings pitch. But here's the point. He still pitched seven innings. <laughs> and that means that the Astros didn't have to overtax their bullpen. And there's a couple names on the market. There's Garrett Cole I'd go after. There's Ryu, who, who just finished uh, his his stint with the Dodgers. There's obviously Strasburg out there. And it, Wheeler, it, but but could he be in number one? I'm not so sure. Bumgarner, Keuchel, Hamels. So the Yankees, to declare this a win, to put the stamp of win on the offseason off uh, this season, the Yankees need to come out with not a number two even or a three or a four starter. Because Tanaka is a great two. Severino is a great three or, or flip them, vice versa them. And Paxton is a four at this point in time. And J-Hap, we don't know what J-Hap is going to be for next year. Nobody can predict that. No statistician can predict the impact of J-Hap for next season. So in my opinion, I do not think he's going to be a starter. I think they're going to use him out of the bullpen. As sort of like a setup long range guy, especially if a role Chapman is allowed to, to walk. I think you slide Zach Britton then into that closer spot, and then you're looking for someone that can eat up an inning or two. And maybe Jay Hap's that guy. But to do it midseason, you know, it's it's just a mentality, total flip. I mean, you're going from a starter's mentality out into the bullpen. I, you know, I never did that, you know, obviously. So, but I, can imagine that it's it's it takes a psychological toll on you as well as the physical toll, which is totally different in terms of preparation and stuff. Let's stick with the Yankees. CJ in Mount Holly, you're on the fan. Danielle, how you doing? Good, CJ. How are you? You know, I've been a Yankees fan for over 50 years, and I remember all the Yankee teams that really do well always had a big-time lefty power hitter. You know, guys like Reggie Jackson and more recent times to Shara. And I think they have to go back to that formula. You got the short porch over there in Yankee Stadium. And the biggest mistake about going for John Carlo is that he was a right-handed bat. They should have waited to get Harper from the left side. That was a terrible move. But in the offseason, do you see that's a possibility? Looks like a big-time bat from the left side. CJ, thanks for the call. Big-time bat from the left side. I think, I mean, the, the left-handed is, is a good point. Um, but... I just I think that the Yankees cannot be fixated on big time bats because they have some big time bats that just honestly pretty much went silent when it really mattered most. You got Gary Sanchez, right? The big time bat and Gary Sanchez. He's striking out with the bases loaded in what was it, the ALCS, I think it was. I mean, that was a crucial spot, and he's a big time bat. You got Aaron Judge, who with runners in scoring position in in the playoffs. In the postseason, batted 242, uh, 242 in the regular season, dropped off to 125 in the postseason. So Sanchez batted 143 with runners in scoring position this postseason, about a 100-point drop-off. And then you have Aaron Judge with more than a 100-point drop-off in his production. I mean, Judge is a big bat, right? So I, I'm not sure that, that and then obviously Giancarlo Stanton, I think he had, was it zero? Did I, did I see zero? Yeah, batting average with running, runners in scoring position this postseason. I made this little chart today. Zero. He batted actually zero. <laughs> so, I, I mean, 
I don't know if a big bet is going to solve what's going on with the Yankees because when I looked at and I and I had this question this morning. I said, oh, let me let me do a little deep dive here. Let's use Adam Gase's terms. Deep dive. I, I said to myself, you know, does the Yankees formula of, of this, you know, patchwork bullpen plus the the home run hitter mentality, feast or like famine, does it hold up? Does it work? So what I did was I looked at the World Series champions for the past well, 2019, we don't know, but I looked at 18, 17, and 16, you know, the quote-unquote juiced ball error, right? So I said to myself, what did the Boston Red Sox hit with runners in scoring position in 2018 in the World Series? You know what that number was? 353. And they left 28 on base in five games. 353, the Red Sox bat. And I know Yankee fans, you don't want to hear that. The, the Red Sox hit 353 with runners in scoring position. And if you go back to the ALCS Yankees, they hit 179. So, oh, I'm sorry, 171. Sorry, 171 the Yankees hit. Just checking over my numbers. Now, in 2017, okay, the Houston Astros, they won the World Series. I said to myself, self, what did they hit with runners in scoring position in the in the World Series alone? 265. And in that seven-game series, they left 42 on base. But again, they batted 265 and won the World Series. And in 2016, I went back to the 2016 World Champion Chicago Cubs. What did they hit with runners in scoring position in the World Series? 205. And they left, really, an astounding 56 men on base in over seven games. So the point I'm trying to make is this. A big-time bat, although it's great to have, it's not what the Yankees needed. And at the time, I said it. I'm on the record saying it. You know, John Carlos Stanton coming off that tremendous year he had with the Florida Marlins, or the Miami Marlins now, and at the time, there was no room for him in the Yankees lineup. Not in the lineup and not in the outfield. Because now you've created a logjam. You've created a situation where the Yankees cannot afford to take on any other big money contracts, which in turn has hurt their chances of getting a big-time starting pitcher. Eli in Queens, you're on the fan. Hey, how's it going, Anya? Listen, uh, I want to I message to all the Yankee fans you know, out there. We're not going to win another championship. Until we get rid of this duo of, of uh, Brian Cashman and Aaron Boone, because to tell you the truth, if you're gonna do this math of all, you know, looking back, whatever, the Yankees' last championship was what 2019, right? 20, no, 20, 2009. 2009. Yeah, yeah, 2009. Now, what was what was the team constructed with? The core four. Cashman had no, no. Not even his hand was not even in the core four. Well, that was he Gene Stick Michael. Yeah, yeah. So he and then you bought players at that time. You know, it was the, the same mentality where you know the Yankees went out and re up. You know, mm-hmm. uh, reloaded. Mm-hmm. Burnett and that Brian year. Cashman, yep. To yeah, share that year. And, yeah, but like Brian Cashman right now with this analytics thing, he needs to go out and rent the, moon, the movie Moneyball. <laughs> 
<laughs> and realize that this works in the regular season, but it doesn't work in the playoffs. And then he brings Aaron Boone in here, which game two, Aaron Boone completely destroyed bringing, uh, taking out Chad Green. Like, we would have been 2-0. We would have been in the national uh, spot right now, up 2-0 in, in the series. But, no, he had to take he had to go with the analytics and destroy and take out Chad Green, bring in Adovino that was atrocious throughout the whole second part of the season the guy, and throughout the whole twin season. Yeah. Against the twins, he, he came in once to face one batter, and he walked in twice. Yep. Those are proof. Yeah, no, Eli, I, I, I'm with you. I, I get the, the desperation and that Moneyball comment. I, I kind of like that because when Moneyball was happening – that was the first dive into into analytics, believe it or not, and it was put a focus on batting average. I watched this on a plane. Well, I forget where I was going, probably Vegas. But Moneyball, they've put a, put a focus on batting average that A's team. And now, since that time, from then to now, the statistics are are the analytics, I should say, are next gen stats are are totally well more advanced. But you know, you still have to get on base. And you still have to hit when guys are on base. And when you talk about that 2009 team, as he just did, you know what else? They had the court four, which was obviously the doing of Gene Stick Michael, right, for the most part. But they also had really good starting pitching. I mean, look at their pitchers. What was it? Uh, was it Pettit? Was it Sabathia and Burnett? Right, they had a three-man rotation that year. So, I mean, and Burnett was the big-ticket dude. He was the big fish. And I heard a caller, was it wasn't yesterday, um, say, and, and you just alluded to it, when are the Yankees going to be the Yankees and go out and get what they need in order to win a championship? But the problem is that this 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 luxury tax item is uh, is what's holding them back. And I'm not making that up. Brian Cashman, in different words, said it during the uh, the post conference. Uh, you know, the, the the breakup conference earlier this week. What was it Thursday? He basically said it that he made an offer to. I guess he was talking about Patrick Corbin at the time. I think I'd have to go back and look at my notes. But um, and and he said basically that he, they got outbid for him or whoever it was, and and that directive came down from the top from the ownership. And if the Yankees, if what they need to win a world series, cause they were right there. They were right there two times out of the past three seasons. And if what they need is, is a starting pitcher. Well, man, go out and get one. You're the Yankees. You don't, you don't, you're self-imposing a salary cap on, on, your team when the MLB doesn't have a salary cap. Go out and get that starter pitcher, that ace, that number one. More Yankee calls after the break. I know I got a Jets one on hold. Maybe we'll open with that next. Uh, I'm Daniel McCartan on the fan, and uh, you guys can load up the phone, 877-337-6666. Talk to you on the other side of the break. Bingo and Roberts, 10 to 1 on the fan, Sports Radio 66, Sports Radio 1019 FM, WFAN, WFAN FM, New York. And I'm Dana McCartan, back with you. I'm McCartan after midnight. I kind of like that. I think it's stuck here on WFAN in New York City, lower Manhattan. And uh, 
I just put up a poll on my Twitter account, so at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. It's only up for the next eight minutes. And and I asked the question, what is the biggest need, in your opinion, for the New York Yankees this offseason? And the two choices are a starting pitching ace or a big bat. So get over there, cast your vote. Right now it's 100% starting pitching ace to 0% big bat. And uh, I, I wanted to take, to take Blair's phone call next because he's been on hold for the longest out of everybody. Now, he wanted to talk Jets, and that's what it says on the screen. So let me intro this with, as I drove in today or tonight, um, there was unusual, the, first of all, the lower level of the bridge was closed, and that created some traffic in the upper level. And then, just when you're free and clear and doing 60 miles an hour on the West Side Highway, boom, stopped. So now I'm sitting in traffic and I'm looking around. There's some Halloween parties going on tonight. So if you're at one and you're listening to me, how you doing? <laughs> um, but I saw I saw a police officer walk by, a devil. I saw Woody and Buzz get into a cab, as I mentioned before, right outside the station. And there were some people wearing no costumes, which I don't know, really. But then I, t- I sat there in traffic and I was thinking about Sam Darnold and how many ghosts he's going to be seeing in Jacksonville later today. Hopefully the answer is zero. Who knows? Blair and Maine, you're on the fan. What's going on? How are I you? I ain't afraid of no ghosts. <laughs> you like that intro, huh? Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the evil jester for Halloween. Scare some kids or Ooh. somebody. <laughs> um but I I gotta um say this. Sam Darnold is gonna see ghosts no matter what, because the freaking New England Patriots are the team. In New England, and I love cheering for him. I got a blanket I was I had on my um, keeping me warm. Um, so uh, is that a Jets anyways, blanket or a Patriot blanket? You mean it's a Patriot blanket? Oh, so you're a Patriot fan? Yeah, huge oh. time Patriot fan. Okay. Oh, represent. <laughs> well, listen, New England all the way. Yeah, you, um, you got to give it real to quick. Him. Yeah, real quick. Um, before you hang up, I had the song, but I, I do like Sam Darnold. I'm just not a big fan. Because I know that he's got a lot of um, teams to go against that he just can't um, handle because of the pressure he has to go against. So, you know, but here's a song for you. I feel bad for Sam Darnold because I watched him play in high school. Blair, there's no curses in this song, right? But here's a song right now. No, there's not. Okay. I just played this song. Were you listening? Yeah, I heard it. (laughs) Oh, it stopped. What did you do? I didn't do anything. Here we go. Here's another song. What's this one? I don't, I don't, I don't recognize this one. Blair, you like that one, huh? What is it? Can you hear it? Yeah, but what is it? Hold on. Emmanuel, do you know what this song is? All right, Blair, thanks. I appreciate the effort. Emmanuel, do you know? I don't, I don't know. Very familiar song. What is it? But I need to locate the name. <laughs> Horrible song name. I asked him 10 times. He didn't answer. Blair, tweet me. What What was the t- song? But <laughs> that's fun. He called He called the other time, too. I, I like when I like uh, that was my favorite phone call. My two favorite phone calls, I think, ever. Now, back to the poll and the Yankees on Twitter. I got at Beacon Spring. He's telling me starting pitching with like. Eight exclamation points. They need an ace. <laughs> of course they need an ace. That's what I'm saying. Yankees don't need a big bat, another big bat. 
So there's three minutes left in that poll at Coach MCCARTAN as we head out to Brooklyn and Raymond. You're on the fan. Yes, uh, good, uh, good morning. How are you doing today? Good, how are I'm you? I'm just calling pertaining oh, fine, thank you. <laughs> just calling pertaining to the Yankees uh, yeah. playoff uh, bid. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think they need to get back to the fundamentals of how to hit the ball. I agree. From what, I'm see- from what I've seen and looking at the game, seems like everyone is trying to hit home runs. They're swinging up mm-hmm. at any pitches. They're just trying to hit it. And how many first pitch yeah. strikes are they swinging at? I mean, how many first yeah, pitches are they swinging at? Where, no matter if it's a strike or a ball. Uh, that's what I'm saying. And no matter what, it's just like Beatty when he had bases loaded twice in two different uh, games, and they they walked. They have to walk bases loaded. He mm-hmm. got up with two outs. They changed the pitcher, and the first pitch the pitcher threw that came in, he swung at it and popped right up. He did that twice in each one of the other games that they played. I think that at one point, and uh, thanks for the call, Raymond, because I totally agree. And I think Didi Gregorius, I got to check the number, but I think that he threw five at bats at one point, only saw six pitches. I mean, when you're going against the well documented, you know, starting pitching gauntlet from from the Houston Astros, you got to be taking more than one pitch. And and I, I appreciate the aggressive aggressiveness at the plate, but like. If your main objective and the only way you think you're going to get the score is is to knock out their starting pitching, well, then you should really be seeing more than one pitch per head bat. I mean, right? Instead of just trying to get the launch angle and trying to yank it out of the park. Jay in Fort Lee, you're on the fan. Hi, Danielle. I uh, I like your poise. You <laughs> Thank a you. Nice uh, presentation. Listen, I don't think uh, – I have to respectfully disagree. I – don't think if you gave the Yankees uh, Jacob DeGrom and you gave them uh, Thor and you had them the whole year this year, Yankees would not have won those that, that uh, last playoff round. Their analytics, and if you watch Homegrown going back a year ago, and they've played now three seasons where the same thing has happened to them and they do not change what they do. They teach offensively uppercut swings for home runs. They love to talk about exit velocity. They don't care if you strike out 150 to 200 times as long as you hit home runs. The the gentleman that ran his program before you, McMonagle, said that Gardner had a great year. He had a great year for Gardner. In the old days, if you told me a guy hit 250 and had 28 home runs, you would never call it a great year. He had a solid year for him considering his age. Fact of the matter is, you have too many ball players towards the end of the year, not the lineup they had in July. Mm-hmm. The lineup they had in the end of the year, where they started bringing back uh, their Stanton. kind of player that the Yankees love to sign, yep. that just have holes. They swing at bad pitches and they go for home runs. Yep. And that's they're going to lose every year with that approach. And, and, and they watch the other team beat them with it, and they don't change. You know, the Red Sox pulled aside. Their top four or five players at the end of 2017, and they said, we want each one of you to lower your strikeouts by 20 to 25%. And they did. The Yankees, well, you know, the team that they had in June and July, and don't get me wrong, it was a very enjoyable year and a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. But the team that they had in June and July, I believe, would have done better in the postseason uh, than the team that they ended up rolling in with in October because – that team in July, they may not be as fancy and have all the hype of these so-called big bats, 
but they took the ball and play, and they played to, you know, keep the line moving. Yeah, and Jay, totally. I, I, that's exactly what I looked at this morning. Um, because when you look at, and I, and I just looked at, because for me, the biggest hang-up for me was the Yankees not being able to hit with runners in scoring position. I mean, how many left-on bases did the Yankees have? So for me, I think that the most important person to look at, I mean, it was, it was a small, small sample size. Giancarlo Stanton, he's batting 429 with runners in scoring position in his final leg of the season. But then again, that was 14 at-bats against the Angels, the Blue Jays, and the, the, the Texas Rangers, and the Tampa Bay Rays, who they were in total preserve mode. They had 14 pitchers in two days, so you can't even really count. That's not the Tampa Bay Rays that were in the playoffs, the team that he faced. So he's batting 429 with runners in scoring position, and in the postseason, zero. LeMahieu, who led the team, besides that that outlier number, 389 with runners in scoring position, led the team in regular season. How do you explain the 129 that he hit in the postseason? But then you look at guys like Torres, who hit 500 runners in scoring position this postseason, and he was second highest in the regular season. You look at guys like, like Talkman. He hit in the regular season. That guy hit 324 with runners in scoring position. He was left off the roster. Austin Romine. He hit 314 with runners in scoring position in the regular season. He didn't get in, he didn't get one single at bat. Guys like Voigt, Gregorius. That was the team that that the caller just alluded to. I think it was Raymond in the Bronx. that's what he just alluded to, that the Yankees were a different team in the summer versus the team that they rolled out for the postseason. And and it's true. It's totally true. And that's what I looked at today. So some guys stepped up, which would be Brett Gardner and Glaber Torres. And let's look, how about, I mean, those two. Those are the two that really stepped up for the Yankees offensively anyway, were Gardner and Torres. What do they have in common? Well, I'll tell you, they hit for average. Then you have guys like Stanton who totally fell off. Sanchez totally fell off. Judge totally fell off. What do those guys all have in common? They strike out a ton. And, yeah, I know they have the power that can change, you know, the game with, with one swing. I get it. But, when, like I said, when you looked at the last 2018, 17, and 2016 world champions, they got it done with runners in scoring position. And that, to me, indicates fundamental, let's call it even old-school baseball. Josh in Bridgeport, you're on the fan. Hey, how we doing? Good, how are you? Um, good, good. I think it was um, – I want to get to two quick points here. Yeah. Um, real quickly, Mark Deshera was on with Michael Kay recently, I think. He talked about the whole um, you know power hitter and like evening the whole lineup out. Mm-hmm. Um, but something next year I think they have to definitely do. Um, the thing is, when it comes down to it, like especially in the postseason, I mean, in baseball in general, like good pitching beats good hitting. Mm-hmm. Do you agree? I agree. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So I, I mean, looked it up, and, yeah. and with the ALCS, yep, the Yankees actually outplayed the Astros. They did. As far as statistically wise, like, they did. Um, as far as ERA, opponent uh, batting average. Mm-hmm. The thing that leads me to say is, like, I think you had a caller a little while ago that said. The first thing the Yankees need to take care of is getting rid of Brian Cashman and uh, yeah, that's, that's a no. That, that's a no. That, and that's actually surprising not the first time I've actually heard that. I know. You know just 
just from being around. The thing, like, that people have to realize is, like, Brian Cashman has brought the Yankees to the, to the postseason 18 out of the last 21 years that he's been as GM. Yep. 18 times. So, like, when there's that small of a margin, when, you're, like, you're literally down to game six and it's, like, down to, like, literally situational, that's not the GM's job. And if they get rid of Aaron Boone, his first two seasons over 100 wins each year. So it's like, I don't know. Yeah, no, like, I'm with it, you, Josh. I, I got you. I, I get it. I mean, and, and just because Brian Cashman didn't do anything at the deadline, yeah, but he did moves before the deadline. I mean, he brought Gio Urshela, who was the starting third baseman in the ALCS, over for, like, nothing. I mean, he does things that, that people don't really realize. I mean, but... At this point in time, and let me go back to the Twitter poll that I ran. At this point in time, I think it might be unanimous. Let's see. Uh, 86% of voters want a starting pitching ace as compared to the 14 for the big bat. And and I thought of something, too, today. And and, and by the way, that that was a very intelligent call that you just had. So I looked at it, too, that the Yankees outbat Houston. They beat him in batting average. They beat him in home runs. They beat him in on base percentage. They beat him in RBIs. They they beat them in. Uh, oh no, that that's pretty much it. Walks per nine went to the Houston Astros. Strikeouts, obviously, the Yankees struck out more than they did. But basically, what I'm saying is, the Yankees had them beat, except that they couldn't get the clutch hit. And then I started thinking, like, okay, so if Aaron Judge, I think, had the lowest batting average with runners in scoring position this postseason. What does the analytics say about moving him in the order? Why can't he be the runner that's on base? Why wouldn't they bat him first? Bat Judge leadoff and see what happens because he's obviously not getting the job done where he was. What was he, two, three? He wasn't getting the job done there. So bat him leadoff, right? Because there's nobody on base for him to not knock in. And he still has that game-changing Swing, one swing of the bat. So maybe flip-flop, judge first, LeMahieu even second or third. Or even Torres. I don't know. I'm just trying to think of a different way that, that, that it could have been done. Because Aaron Judge, I mean, I'm sorry, Aaron Judge. I, I do like you. You're a great player. and You made some excellent, like one-of-a-kind defensive plays in the outfield. You just didn't get done with runners in scoring position this postseason. And that's kind of where they had you beat. So I think that would have been a good switch just to see. I mean, especially in that elimination game, you move him up to the one spot and see what happens. I don't know. We'll talk more Yankees offseason moves. Um, we'll talk. I have finally have a, a done extensive research. I have a candidate for the Mets for their managerial. If, if my recommendation would have put forth. Obviously, it's it's football Sunday right now. Giants and Jets coming up after the break as well. I'm Daniel McCartan after midnight on The Fan. Sports Radio 1019 FM and Sports Radio 66 WFAN. And good morning, everybody. At 205, I'm Daniel McCartan back with you on The Fan. And we're going with McCartan after midnight. It's me. Um, Hey, right now the World Series is going on, and I think a lot of Yankee fans are a little bit salty that the Yankees aren't playing in the World Series. Um, but after tonight, it's evened up at 2-2 between the Houston Astros and the Washington Nationals. And again, I, I tried to answer the question this morning of 
I don't know. So what have the Nationals been able to do that the Yankees couldn't versus the Astros? And uh, we'll talk that in a second. Also, I, I really did a deep dive into the Mets and who I think their next managerial candidate should be now that Joe Girardi is totally off the table. And, of course, it is football Sunday. I have a Giants little preview, a Jets little preview. And a little bit later, we're going to talk a little Nets-Knicks basketball and the trajectories of both teams after, what, Game 2 for the Nets and Game 3 for the Knicks with the S Network's Chris Sharon. That's coming up a little bit later. So what have the Nationals been able to do that the Yankees couldn't versus this Astros team? Well, I didn't include tonight's game because, I'll be honest, I didn't really watch tonight. I uh, I closed my eyes for a little bit because, um, you know, it's a long shift tonight. But um, And, and ba- I use a lot of baseball reference, and I do a lot of calculations based on their stats, and they have yet to update um, – their stuff. So just going off the first three games in the series, I hope you'll forgive me, but the Nationals, some numbers that popped out of me were the Nationals hit less home runs than the Yankees. Half. Half the home runs is the Yankees. And they also struck out half the time as the Yankees did versus the same Astros team. So if you're looking at half the home runs and half the strikeouts, that equates to a higher batting average and a higher on-base percentage. And through three at that point, it really was no surprise. That's that's a formula that wins games. And that's the formula that the 2018 Red Sox used, the 2017 Astros used, the 2016 Chicago Cubs used. And to explain their losses, it's almost remarkable. And, oh, and by the way, through four games, they're, they're hitting with runners in scoring position, still is at 258. Still. Yankees hit 171 versus the Astros in the ALCS with runners in scoring position. But... Remarkably different between their wins and their losses is the number of left on base and their and their ability to hit with runners in scoring position. I'm telling you, this is the new money ball. Someone called before talking about money ball. Well, they focused on batting average. I'm talking about runners in scoring position batting average. Dave, you've been on hold for a very long time. Thanks for hanging in. You're on the fan. Yeah, I just want to, before I get to the uh, game tonight, I just want to talk about the Astros management. I mean, they made, I cannot believe what a disgrace the Astros management is. I mean, they they had a chance. You know, they made the biggest mistake by firing this guy, Taubman. They had a chance to take a stand and say, no, we're not going to fire a guy just because he said something that was a little off color. I mean, if you have a problem with what he said, you know, ask him why he said it. He'll tell you I said it because I was whatever, and then, you know, if, if you want to ask them for an apology, then ask them for an apology, and that's it. Instead, the Astros, they just gave in. They gave in to social pressure. and out- Dave, I'm cutting you off right there. Sorry about that, but you know what? They gave in to social pressure. You're talking to a woman sports host on a station that has three sports women's hosts, you know, in, in New York, and I, I just can't get behind the fact that you would just call up to me and tell me that he thinks that you think that he, he should just one not have been fired, two that they gave in to, to social media pressure. Are you kidding me? Are, are you living in the same society that we all are nowadays? Okay, the guy directed his comments, and I I didn't want to go here tonight, but you know what? You went there, so I'll go there too. The guy di- directed his comments directly to a reporter that has tweeted and been very vocally against domestic violence. It, it, it was it was in the celebration of the, the Astros going to, the, what was it, the World Series. 
he's going to turn around and target a female reporter, one of three in the entire locker room, with, with ridiculous comments like that? I mean, that, that's, that's the perception that we're trying to rid, David. Okay? That's the perception we're trying to rid. Yours. It's not the right one. And I hate to come down on a caller like this because I really appreciate you guys and you guys keep the show going for five hours tonight. That, that's, you know, it's a long time to be sitting here talking by myself. But a call like that, I'm cutting you right off. That guy deserved to be fired. Sorry. And you know what? There should be more firings happening for the Houston Astros. And the, the lackluster apology, the, the sorry you were offended apology is my favorite one of all time. Sorry you were offended. But we fired him, and, and we're going to fix it. Come on, man. Come on. Jeff and Fairview, you're on the fan. Hell, how are you? All right. <laughs> Help me here. <laughs> I'll try to. <laughs> what do you got for all me? Right. No way is Wheeler, and I'm, I am a Mets fan, no way is Wheeler number one. He's, no. He's a, he's a two on a bad team. And uh, like a three on a good team. Mm-hmm. I mean, he always starts off bad. He has a very bad first half. Then he comes on in the second half like a house on fire pitch. is great. Wish he could be more consistent. Do you think we're going to sign him, the Mets? The Mets are going to sign him? Uh, Do you think? Jeff, I, I don't think so. I think the Mets are going to have to just let him go. I mean, because yeah. their, their weakness isn't their starting pitching rotation. Their weakness is their bullpen. And the no. Mets' weakness is also... You know, they need to find a, a, a true center fielder. So, true. you know, I wish they would trade Zach Wheeler. But at that point in time this season, they were still sort of kind of in the running. They were the hottest team in baseball in July. So they really didn't, you know, they, they really didn't have, a, you know, I don't want to say a market for him, but they still needed him at that point. But right. now that he's walking in free agency, they're going to get nothing in return for him. And that's what hurts me most for the Mets. Well, if we give him a qualifying offer, we get like a draft pick or something. Mm, that I'm not sure. I'd have to look that up. I'm I'm not positive. I think, so. I think I'm pretty. I'm ninety percent sure. And going to the Yankees, I'm a Mets fan. There's two teams that handled their hitting during the regular season. And I know the Yankees had the best record against good teams, but Tampa Bay won the season ten ten to nine, and Tampa Bay handled it with like low scoring games. The pitching staff handled the Yankees hitters and the other team was the Oakland A's. They won four and two against them. Their pitches handled the uh, the Yankees hitters. Now the the Yankees feasted on the Orioles. I mean Torres had thirteen homers against the Orioles. Crazy, right? Thirteen homers. <laughs> Sanchez had what, ten? I mean I knew it when I I used to tell my brother he's a big Yankee fan. I said, Let let's see them hit some good pitching. You know, let's see them hit some good pitcher then. You know, and all right, I'm saying they did it sometimes, but they didn't always do it. That's what I'm trying to say. They really mm-hmm. featured on the, uh, the bad pitching. Yeah, I mean, Jeff, and then th- thanks for the call. That was a, that was a two-pronger with the Mets and, and Yankees both. You know, the Yankees did okay versus the Houston Astros pitching. They did okay. I mean, they're batting. I mean, their their pitching, the Yankees pitching versus the Astros, actually was better than the pitching versus the Astros and Nationals series. So what I'm saying is, the Houston Astros batted worse versus the Yankees in the ALCS and just got a couple timely hits versus how they're doing versus the Washington Nationals through the first three at least. I mean, it was batting average, the Houston Astros hit 179 versus the Yankees in the ALCS, 179. 
yet then you get Jose Altuve's home run and they win the game. You know, it was one of eight that the Yankees had given up. And the on-base percentage for the Astros in the ALCS, 281. It's pretty good. Joey in Mount Sinai, you're on the fan. Hey, what's up? How are you? I'm good. Um, actually, I'm very happy to like finally hear somebody on the station that seems like they're willing to face the truth when it comes to the Yankees. Like I, I, I agree with everything you said tonight. I mean, a caller before he made like a really good point though. It just seems like you know the team has been so close like the past three years, and they it's like they are just so stubborn. They don't make any changes. It, and there was another caller that said, "Oh well, Cashman, you know, they've been to the play the postseason mm-hmm. X amount of times, and X, you know, that's great." But is it really worth anything if you don't take it all? Well, not to the you Yankees, know? no. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, ex- ex- exactly. So, like, and he, they all have fair points. But, like, here's what I'm saying. Like, when you were talking about Judge before, I love Aaron Judge. He's great. I do, too. Fantastic. Yeah, but you know what, though? Why does that mean that he has to be stapled to the two-hole yeah. for the rest of his career? Well, that's the point I was trying you know? to make. Yeah, where do you, yeah. Think, where do you see him hitting? Where do you want him I, I mean, well, if it was my lineup, I would be moving guys according to how they're playing or how they look. I mean, right. but like you had a guy like Gio batting three plus, you know, the whole season. And it's like, oh, well, he's not Aaron Judge, you know. And, and like, you know, if you look at a comparison between the Astros and the Yankees, like, you know, I noticed, um, I think it was game five, Paxton just absolutely embarrassed um, Torinos. So what they do was, you know, they don't like the way he looks. So we put our backup catcher in, but, you know, um, Marquis Maldonado. But, you know, the Yankees, they, they don't do that because, like you said before, it just—it's like they're more about whatever it is that they've been doing. Just these names, these stars, these power hitters, and it's just not the right recipe. I, and you know I, how Brian Cashman could think that uh, John Carlos Stanton, who by any means I don't think he's a bad baseball player, you know, is worth thirty million a year, but Justin Verlander wasn't. To me, that, there was no excuse for that. With that press conference he had the other day, mm-hmm. I just wanted to see what you thought. Yeah, I mean, I, I listened and watched the whole thing, Joey. Thanks for the call. Um, and I don't feel like I'm, I'm doing anything like, you know, what's that word? Like, like for shock value here. I just think when you when you look at it as as Brian Cashman said in that press conference himself, when you look at it, you know, without any emotion in it, let it let it settle. You know, I, I just I don't know. I just think that the Yankees, like you said, ha- have been doing the same thing, and and maybe. As a manager, I would be, like you said, moving batters around based on their, I don't know, their their performance, their most recent performances, you know? And and I'm looking right now at, at Aaron Judge and where he bats best um, in his career. His, the best batting average he's got is actually batting fifth. He bats 333. Oh, actually, batting seventh in the lineup, he bats 364. Fifth and seventh. So what does that tell me? Well, batting first, he bats zero. Batting second, he's three ninety seven. So he's good in the two hole. He's good in, in the in the three hole. But he's best in the seven hole, seven and five. So what does that tell me? That that tells me that you know obviously he's a great hitter, obviously, but he's a hitter that doesn't really like the pressure. And and when I played softball, I batted for the most part second. I hated batting third. When they put me in at batting third, I felt this immense pressure to not make the third out. Or you know, it, it's it's a really it's a men, it's a mental thing. And if this guy's putting his, up his best numbers in his career in the five hole and in, and in the seven hole, I'm not so, telling him batting him seventh, but five, I mean, you kind of got to go with that a little bit, right? Uh, uh, all these analytics, it's like stats, 
you're using stats just to prove your point sometimes. And I know I do that too, but sometimes you just got to, I don't know, go with your gut, manage from, from your gut. And my gut's telling me that Aaron Judge isn't a number two hitter or even a number one, as I suggested before. That's just based off his career numbers. And he's got the most experience batting second. So obviously some more of your calls after the break. Yankees are a hot topic um, as we head to the hot stove. Also, the Mets are a hot topic, too. They, uh, they're on the verge, I, I feel. The Mets are on the verge of, of getting their next manager very soon. Maybe this week. Who knows? It's McCartan After Midnight on The Fan. Listen to Giants football today at 1 p.m. As Big Blue is in Detroit to take on the Lions exclusively on your flagship station for the New York Giants. The Fan, Sports Radio 1019 FM and Sports Radio 66. WFAN and WFAN-FM, New York. I got, <laughs> I got a feeling this is good. Hey, I'm Daniel McCartan back with you guys on WFAN. And I got a feeling that the Yankees are going to be doing a lot of off-season moves, some cleaning house. I think Didi Gregorius is going to be gone, unfortunately. I know he's a fan favorite. Um, but again, there. Uh, but then again, who knows? Because uh, to me, there's no need for Didi Gregorius on this Yankees roster. You got Glaber Torres, who has been the absolute star that he is. And he even got better in the playoffs. He can slide right over to shortstop because he's a natural shortstop. You got LeMahieu locking down first base, maybe with Voigt as his backup. Coming coming off of, uh, was it sports hernia surgery or whatever. And you got Rochelle at third base. And and I, I don't know. You can do LeMahieu at first. You can do LeMahieu at second. Who knows what Greg Bird is. So I just don't think that Didi Gregorius will be wearing Yankees uniform next year. And, and that's really unfortunate because he is a guy... That, as we're just talking, he hits for average. He can also hit for power, but for the most part, he hits for for average. Um, So lots of changes coming in the Bronx. I mean, number one has got to be starting pitching on my my list of things. And Garrett Cole, I think, would be the guy for me. (laughs) Because what the Yankees did versus Garrett Cole in Game 3 of the ALCS, well, what he did versus them, he gave up zero runs. He pitched seven innings. And maybe this is a combination of, you know, the Yankees really stinking up the place in clutch situations or Garrett Cole really just shutting him down. But Garrett Cole gave up a career high, I think it was, five walks in that game. The Yankees put nine runners on base versus Garrett Cole that game. I mean, that was traffic. Like, like I just hit on the West Side Highway coming in. Like, standstill traffic I hit, and that's a lot of traffic. None scored. So is that a testament to Garrett Cole, or is that a testament to the Yankees roster, or kind of both? The Yankees lineup, I should say, or, or kind of both? I don't know. But for me, I mean, with the, the big names on the market, free agents, Garrett Cole, again, Ryu, Strasburg, Wheeler, Bumgarner, Keiko, Hamels, I mean, the Yankees have to come away with one of them. And at this point in time, I can't tell you what the what my number one choice is, although I think it's going to be Cole. I mean, I haven't run any numbers yet. So right now I'm saying Cole. I'll probably get back to you guys next week with uh, with my my top three targets for the Yankees. But Bruce and Flushing, you're on the fan. Hey Danielle, how are um, you? How are you? Um, here's my, I would do for the Yankees. Number one, as you said, and it doesn't take a genius to realize this, you have to get Cole. You have to give him a blank check, whatever it takes to take to sign Cole. That's what you have to do. And I think if you sign Cole, it's going to be a signing. Just like when they signed Catfish, 
just like when they signed Reggie, it's going to, and to lesser degree, Cece, it's going to be an impactful signing. So you have to sign him no matter what. And I don't want to hear about, well, he, he, he wants too much money. This is the Yankees, okay? <laughs> we're not the Mets. We're, we're not a Midwestern team. Yankees make plenty of money. You can sign calls. That's number one. Mm. Number two, I, I think it's time, and I know you, you addressed it a little bit before, but I, I think it may be on the opposite side of the fence here. The Yankee lineup is too right-handed. I think it's imperative to get a left-handed bat in this lineup. Somebody like a Carl Schwarber from the Cubs, Cubs are looking to shake things up, would be perfect as a DH. You can play some first base if you have to, but to me, you have to balance out this lineup. Number three, I think you have to at least listen to trade officer Sanchez. Not saying give him away, Mm -hmm. but if you can get a really good pitcher for Sanchez, I would do it. You know, I don't know how old you are, but there was a time before the 96 uh, uh, year, and it was 95, where the Yankees had Stanley, and he was a 300 hitter, and, but they went for defense over offense, and they, and they signed Girardi. And sometimes you have to take defense over offense, especially with such a potent line that the Yankees have. And fourth, do not renew Encarnacion. Yeah, he's a, he's been a great hitter, but for twenty million dollars, if you're going to spend money on pitching, you're probably going to need some of that money to spend on pitching. Yeah, Bruce, thanks for the call. All great points, all of them. Um, I listen. I too would listen to offers for Gary Sanchez, and if the price is right, I too am moving him. If the price is right, and by price I mean <laughs> a starting pitcher. <laughs> um, but, you know, you brought up a couple points, and, and all of it seems to trickle back to money for the Yankees, um, and that's crazy that we're saying this. You use the term blank check. I wrote that down for Garrett Cole. You would give a blank check to Garrett Cole. Um, and and the numbers I'm seeing for Garrett Cole are in the in the range of $300 million. Is Garrett Cole worth $300 million? And for how many years? Because the first time around, the Yankees didn't want to give him the six-year deal. He wanted a six. I think the Yankees, I think, wanted to give him a five, and that's kind of where, where it fell apart. But Garrett Cole is 29 years old right now, six years of experience. His market value, and this is from SportTrack. I love that website. His mark, calculated market value is $33 million a year. So they're looking at a six-year deal for him still. At, I'm sorry, $200 million. A two hundred million total, six years, two hundred million. That's what he's expected to go for. Now the problem with the Yankees is they have this guy named John Carlos Stanton and his contract still on the books. And I, unless they can move Stanton, I see it. I they definitely can't stay under the luxury tax. And and what that is is you know if they go over a certain dollar amount, the Yankees, I forget, it's like two hundred five million, I think, for the year for each year in salary. Um, if they go over it and and a, they have to pay into a, a pool uh, that other teams can pick from, a percentage into a pool that other teams can use in order to build their rosters out. And that's a concept, um, I guess, well, it is, to prevent the big market teams from absolutely overruling 
the the little market teams like the Padres and the, the Tampa Bay Rays of the world um, just with the sheer dollars. And so if if that's what it takes to get the Yankees to win a world to go over the luxury tax for a year or two or or three even, well, you've already beat your competition. You're already ahead of them. I mean, you made it to with Joe Girardi one game within one game in the World Series. You got to the ALCS this year. I mean, you're right there. You're the Yankees, and you're right there. And what does it take to put you over the hill, over the mound? And no pun intended, a starting pitcher. So if that means you have to go out and spend $32 million annual salary for the calculated market value of of Garrett Cole, who, look at Garrett Cole's numbers. I mean, look at him. And look what he did to the Yankees. You got to go and get him. Freddie in Manhattan, you're on the fan. Hey, Danielle. Enjoy the show. Thank you. Um, couple quick things. Talkman was hurt. That's why he wasn't on the roster. And I know he, he got a little better, but he wasn't able to, he wasn't 100%, so they decided not to put him on. It wasn't that they left him off the roster. Okay. The other thing is um, uh, the scuttlebutt about getting a bat. You, know, you have Anderhaal coming back. You have Frazier. They don't need a bat. You're right. They need the pitching. Right. By the way, uh, they were talking about our previous caller talking about a lefty bat. How about Mike Moustakis for the first baseman? He makes contact. He's a lefty hitter. And it's a free agent who's been really signing uh, undervalued contracts. I think he'd be perfect for first and put LeMayo at second. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, your, your thoughts about that. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, uh, Freddie, thanks for the call. I, I, you know, I haven't ran numbers. Like, I, you know, I, I think you know by now that I, I, before I endorse any sort of candidate, I, I really do my homework on them. But for those reasons that you just gave for Mike Moustakis, I mean, that sounds like win, win, win. Um, so, you know, maybe next week I, I could take a deep dive into that to see you know, one, which pitchers would be one, two, and three for the Yankees, and and two, which free agent position players. But, you know, what I think is, is, is in the Yankees' favor in the Garrett Cole sweepstakes, if they are, in fact, in, was that, that, that pitcher that came up uh, in the ALCS, I guess, they, they put it on the broadcast, the picture of a young Garrett Cole with a, a Yankees cap on and a pinstripe jersey on, holding a pinstripe sign, homemade, that says, Yankee fan today, tomorrow, forever. So he grew up a Yankees fan. And I think that Garrett Cole wants to come to New York. Now, can the Yankees work out a deal for the right price? I will wait and see how that's going to happen. Let's see what Cashman can do in that situation. Because... Cashman has to come away with a number one pitcher this offseason. Craig in Morganville, New Jersey. You're on a fan. Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you? Um, uh, first of all, on behalf of men, sorry about the idiot caller before. Yeah, it's um, all right. The other, the other thing is, um, I think uh, this thing with Terry uh, Cole, I don't know, but over the years, I don't think you can name too many guys that we've gotten that were ultra superstars that have actually panned out in New York. We're going to sign this guy for big money, and all of a sudden he's going to get New York-itis. Something's going to happen. He's going to get hurt. Or for some reason he's not messing with the team, or he can't get it together. It's going to be a waste of money. Look at uh, Stanton. He, he chokes. He's injured. He's, something always happens with these big superstars that we get, and it doesn't always pan out. Um, either get him at a good price, try and work something out. I have no idea, but... Laying out a blank check for these guys is just ridiculous. 
And I think the Yankees don't know how to play small ball in the postseason. Mm -hmm. They slug it out, swinging for the fences during the year, and it works. But we all know it's high pressure in the postseason. Pitching's tougher. The pressure's tougher. They need to know how to do small ball, and they just can't seem to do it. Well, yeah, Craig, I I agree with that part. But um, as far as Garrett Cole, I mean, the guy has proven himself in, in, in big game situations. I mean, he has. And I think at the Yankees, because they have this this young talent right now, these Yankees, and and they're all under, like, Aaron Judge is making, like, no money. Glaber Torres is making, like, no money, you know, comparatively speaking. This is the window. This is the window. And if they get out of arbitration and they're starting to look for their big deals, well, the, the Yankees are obviously not going to be able to afford a, a, a big-ticket pitcher. So what do you do? You sign Garrett Cole for six years, maybe you trade him after three and get someone else to pick up the money for it. I mean, right? Isn't that what the Mets did with, with Cano and the Seattle Mariners? Which, by the way, was was an awful move, and I'm on the record saying that. But that's how you have to almost play this. Maybe he's not going to pitch all 18. Uh, I mean, all all. Uh, maybe he's not going to pitch all six years on that contract. But you get him for a good three, and that's what you need him for because the Yankees are absolutely win now. And you trade him to a team for some prospects. This is how this this is, cycle works, you know? And and the logjam in the outfield created by the Aaron Hicks injury now, I think you got to bring Brett Gardner back. And I was ready to say goodbye to Brett Gardner, but I think you got to bring him back. And we'll talk finally some Mets right after the break. I've got a managerial candidate for the New York Mets. I've done a lot of research. I've explored some bombshells, bombshell candidates, I should say, and I've got one. So some more Mets-Yankees talk and your calls after the break. I'm Daniel McCartan, After Midnight on The Fan. Listen to Giants football today at 1 p.m. As Big Blue is in Detroit to take on the Lions exclusively on your flagship station for the New York Giants. The Fan, Sports Radio 1019 FM and Sports Radio 66, WFAN and WFAN-FM, New York. And I'm Daniel McCartan, back with you on WFAN. It's been a Yankees-heavy night. I'd like to talk some Mets as well tonight. Um... And Yankee fans are still just, just trying to figure out why the Yankees just couldn't get it done in the ALCS. And I have my opinions. Some callers have their opinions. Um, but I just wanted to address one thing that just came up last the last se- uh, session here about Mike Talkman and how one of the callers had said that he, he was injured and, and that's why he didn't participate in the ALCS. Well, actually, because I'm sitting here thinking, like, that doesn't really – I don't know. It doesn't vibe with me. So I, I Googled it real quick on the commercial break. And, in fact – Brian Cashman said on Tuesday, or he declared Mike Talkman, the words were totally healthy on October 15th, which happened to be the same day as game three. And in that game, Stanton did not play. The subsequent game, game four, even after the rainout, Stanton also did not play for the likes of Hicks. So at that point, you know, maybe it's time to sit Stanton and bring in Talkman because... If he's totally healthy, and Stanton wasn't, that's first. Two, Talkman had a 324 batting average at runners in scoring position. One of the highest on the team. Let me see. It was besides the, the Stanton outlier with 14 at-bats. 
He was one, two, three, fourth on the team with runners in scoring position. And that's what we alluded to before. The team, the Yankees team in the summertime, th- that was different from the Yankees team in the fall. So Tuckman was ready to go if, in fact, he was called upon. Um, he just wasn't called upon. And Stanton was benched in game three and four because of, a uh, what was it, a quad injury. Pat in the Bronx, thanks for holding on. You're on the fan. Thanks, Daniel. You're a good listen overnight. Thank you. I appreciate your work, and I appreciate your opinion regarding that gentleman, Topman. I, I think that gentleman was out of line when he called. I, I, I think um, the song you were listening to an hour ago that you couldn't identify yeah. was Come On Eileen by Dexie's Midnight Runners. Ooh. I've never, a, I've never, Emmanuel, have you ever heard of that? Like, I have not. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really good one. You you don't know it. He's just joking. He doesn't know that song. <laughs> well, it, it goes way back to my time, I'm sure. It's way, way before your time. Just a brief deviation from the Mets yeah, managerial. Sure. Um, the uh, reason I think that the Nationals are not hitting right now, as did with runners in scoring position, is because of the weather. It's a controlled environment in Houston. It's very cold in Washington. My brother in D.C. was at the game last night on Friday, and uh, it's cold. And I think that affects the – and they're never going to change it. They're never going to go back to 154 games because of the money involved. So they're going to start the season on March 31st and end it on October 31st, and there's nothing anybody can do about it. I mean, mean, that's a good – point, Pat, and thanks for holding on for so long. I mean, it is a good point that that it is cold and the ball may not travel as far in the cold, but, you know, when I coach and we start, when I I coached softball, we started on on March 1st and it's cold then and and we had practices. I I mean, I was out there practicing with those kids on Saturday mornings and there were snow flurries in the air. So I get it. I do understand. But again, it's also cold for the Houston Astros. It's cold for both teams, and they're battling in the same conditions. Both teams are. Um, and really, if we're talking about weather, I mean, shouldn't the Nationals have the advantage because they, they bat outside in the cold in the spring and in, in the late fall, whereas Houston does bat in the controlled environment? I always think that when you have like football kickers that kick in controlled environments, and then you put them into the elements, especially, you know, like MetLife Stadium, for example, um, with the swirling winds and all that. I think those are always at a disadvantage, those kind of kickers. So um, I, I, I agree that the cold has something to do with it. I just don't think that the cold impacts only the Nationals. And, and really, I think it, it would impact the Houston Astros more. Carlo, Kings Park, you're on the fan. Good morning, Daniel. How are you? Good. How are you, Carlo? Good, Carl. Good, good. Um, definitely talk about some Yanks and some Jets if I could. Sure. What um, you got? As far as the Yanks go, I mean, I could I could spin it at nauseum. They didn't hit, Daniel. They didn't hit. Well, they well, could. well, they hit. They just didn't hit with runners in scoring position. That's yep. the thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can bang your head against the wall all you want. I mean, it just it just happened. I mean, they did it in the regular season, but it just. It just didn't transform in the in the uh, in the playoffs it, 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 when it when it really truly counted, because I mean, they can say, well, this one didn't bat, this one did. They could change the batting order. Houston, you have to give them some credit. I hate to do it, but you have to give them some credit. I mean, their bullpen stepped up. All bullpen out of Vino. Oh, I have to hear. Well, he's from Brooklyn. Does that make a difference that he's from Brooklyn? <laughs> I mean, 
you've got to be kidding me. I mean, uh. you know, it's really funny how they, you know, they try and put all these different different things why the Yankees lost. Yeah, well, underperforming would uh, definitely define Adam Adovino's career here in the oh postseason. It, it, oh, my God. And that would be putting it nicely. Daniel, not for anything, I said before before the spring of pitch, I go, I said to myself, he really isn't going to throw a slider to him. He really won't throw. And what does he do? He throws a slider. <laughs> and, and you know what's going to happen after that? Because yeah. there's just like, you know, it's like the, you know, the million-dollar question, are you going to do it or not going to do it? I mean, you've got to be kidding me. I'm like, oh. it's frustrating to say the least. Yeah. Now you have to backtrack. You have to... Now you're going to have to go to spring training and do it all over again like yep. everybody else. I mean, nobody feels sorry for me because I'm a Yankee fan, but it's just it, it's very frustrating. I thought this was the year. I really, truly thought this and was the year. And a lot of people did. Now now let's get to your your frustrating Jets point. What do you have? Oh, God, do they see ghosts? <laughs> do they see ghosts? No pun intended. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, what are they going to do against Jacksonville, Danielle? I mean, Danielle, uh, they, have a, they have a really good defense. Mm-hmm. And they're going to come after Sam with everything. Mm-hmm. Probably ghosts too. But I mean, this is oh, this could be a hornet's nest. This really could be a true hornet's nest. Yeah, and Carlo, thanks for calling. What bothered me? Um, what bothered me with the Patriots defense? And we know that the Patriots defense is number one in the league, right? We know that. Okay. But what bothered me was the fact that the Jets couldn't make any in-game adjustments. And I'm no—I've never coached football. I've never played football except for, like, my flag football experience as a quarterback, you know, not to toot my own horn. But when I'm sitting there on my couch and I'm watching the Jet game and I'm watching these rushers that are literally being untouched, running right through the Jets' offensive line, I'm sitting there scratching my head saying, like, why won't they put, like, you know, a blocker in the backfield? To pick up that guy, or you know, what what kind of a jet? Why won't what? What about a tight end? Uh, I mean, I, I just don't understand why the Jets can't make any in-game adjustments. Because if I'm the Jacksonville Jaguars, I am absolutely studying and I am replicating exactly what the New England Patriots did to the Jets. Because guess what? The Jets had no answer for it, and that I think is the most frustrating thing. That okay, you knew the Patriots were going to be good, and then you get Adam Gase. I got to find the words he used. In his press conference, but he's saying that, well, well, uh, well uh, the the uh, the Patriots get out there and uh, they they didn't disguise anything. They didn't they didn't disguise anything. So so why couldn't you pick up what they were doing? Right? I mean, right? Zach in New Jersey, you're on a fan. Yeah, you're doing a wonderful job so far. Thank, Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Yeah, I just want to, I want to R.J. Barrett point with the Knicks. Yeah. You know, we saw in the summer, you know, the past couple of years, how the Knicks just failed to bring in free agents. And I really feel that they're doing it the right way now because, you know, when you have young talent, and look what happened to the Nets. You have young talent, and guys want to come play with them. I think Barrett was a tremendous pick, even though he was the obvious pick. But he mm-hmm. was a tremendous pick, and he's doing a tremendous job so far. So I wanted to get your opinion on him and your opinion overall on the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, thanks, Zach. I appreciate that. We're, we'll hit that in a little bit, actually, Brooklyn Nets and Knicks and and. R.J. Barrett, you're right. You're right because here comes that whole question of who's the cooler team, the Nets or the Knicks, and and the free agents certainly this summer thought that the that the Nets, the Brooklyn Nets, were the cooler team, the, the bigger destination um, to go to, the more desirable destination to go to, and and here the Knicks are building it out again from the draft, and R.J. Barrett looks to be the part. I mean, he's the has been pretty much one of the only bright spots on on the Knicks for. The, these three games, 
Um, tonight, what did he put up? 26 or so or so tonight, 20. Um, but he had averaged, I think, 18 and a half or 19 coming into tonight's game. So R.J. Barrett, I mean, he he looks like the guy. I mean, they just need to get, and you'll hear in a little bit, but you know, they need to get him off the point. He's not a real point guard. He's the number two guard. So if they can find a nice compliment to him there and then build out some other things underneath and, and with the big men, um, I think the Knicks have something going. They do. They do have something going. With our, And it starts and ends with R.J. Barrett. So will they be a more attractive destination than the Nets? Well, I think the Nets are built out at this point. So maybe you get a free agent that comes in and says, you know what, I want to, with this new rivalry that's brewing, maybe you get a free agent that comes in and says, well, you know what, I want to be the guy to team up with R.J. Barrett, and I want to beat the Nets. I want to unseat the Nets, because Kyrie Irving said they were going to take up the, over the whole city. So in that sense, maybe you have maybe you have something there. Um, and the Nets, listen, the, the East is pretty weak. I mean, comparatively speaking to the West, I think if you put the Nets in the West, they have no chance. But since the East is 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 the second rate division in the NBA, I mean the Hawks look good, the Sixers should be fine. But I think you know you got to put the Nets back up in there because I mean what I've seen watching Kyrie Irving play over the, the I mean the guy is every as advertised he is as good as advertised, and I think the Nets really stole one there. And just having Kevin Durant, the star power of him on the bench, you know, it uh, it's also very good for them. And Will Belmore, you're on the fan. Hey Danielle, you're doing a great job. Thank uh, you. Listen, no problem. Uh, look, I just want to make two points: one about the Yankees and one about the Jets. Listen, every Yankee fan wants to kill the Yankees heading approach, but you got to give credit to where credit is due. Houston they dominated the strike zone, and they went out there and they pitch first pitch pitch strikes. Yeah. So they they did their job. So you gotta give credit to Houston. And they basically came back the series against Washington. So kudos to them. And my second point with the Jets, I'm a season ticket holder with the team and I love the Jets. But with that being said, I don't know what's going on. I know they started off the year one and five. Sam Darno has a horrible offensive line protecting him. Uh, you know, where do you see this team going forward? Thank you for taking my call. Yeah, well, thanks. Uh, where do I see the Jets going forward? Um, maybe a first overround draft pick, overall uh, draft pick next next season, because I think they have a coach that has absolutely no idea what he's doing and he cannot handle the media. Throws his players under the bus. Has guys. He has a total no. What's that hold? No hold on the locker room and the guys that play for him. Publicly says he doesn't want Le'Veon Bell, and Le'Veon Bell, uh, newsflash, is the best player pretty much on his roster. You got Jamal Adams questioning him. I mean, it's 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 a mess. The New York Jets are a mess, and and Adam Gase is is the reason why. The guy can't make in game adjustments. I mean, I know we're talking the Patriots, but you know the the. Excuses that this guy, I mean, his post game press conferences and his press conferences throughout the week have become must watch for me. I mean, must watch. Because after the Patriots, he says, obviously, that was brutal. We didn't do anything right. All three phases were bad. Just a bad performance. Just not good. We got a lot of work to do. That's a direct quote from a 
head coach of an NFL football team. And I just, I don't know how the Jets can make the step forward with Sam Darnold and Le'Veon Bell and two first-round picks on the defensive line and Jamal Adams. It's not that they don't have the talent. They are not coached well. He also says after that game, we didn't give our guys enough answers. You didn't give your guys enough answers? My God. What are you doing out there? But you know what I will have an answer for? The Mets managerial candidate. More of your calls after the break. I'm Daniel McCartan on The Fan. Sports Radio 101.9 FM and Sports Radio 66 and good morning. Back with you at 3.05 on this wonderful Sunday morning, football Sunday. And we've been do- doing nothing but talking mostly about the Yankees and about to get to the Mets. Um, however, there are still a lot of questions surrounding the New York Yankees. And I came up with eight right off the top of my head. I mean, w- probably the most pressing being which free agents do the Yankees bring back? Um... I think an interesting question can be, can the Yankees find a suitor to take on Stanton's contract, and, and do they want to? Um, and will that great bullpen strategy actually work moving forward? And those are the three that I think are the most important for the Yankees moving forward. Because let's be honest, Yankee fans everywhere are still, I can imagine, heartbroken over the way that Jose Altuve game ended. And uh, just like Chipper Jones used to kill the Mets, I think Jose Altuve is, is the new Yankee killer. Let's head out, head out to Chris in Seacliff, New York. You're on the fan. Hey, Danielle. How are you? Good. How are you, Chris? Thanks for calling. Nice to speak to you. Yeah, great to speak to you. And listen, so two things. I, I was at the net game tonight, and Barrett is the guy. But he's 19 years old or right. maybe 20. And he's, he, doesn't have, he doesn't even have a one and a half behind him. He's got twos and threes. So they need to give him a supporting cast, first of all. And, then, and I want to go to the Yankees. Your comments on that would be great. And then I want to go to the Yankees. Mm-hmm. You had a caller that called before saying that he thought this was their year. I'm a huge Yankee fan, all right? And I knew it was not. I, when we ran into Houston, I knew it was over. And we didn't have pitching. You know, you could, you could have a bullpen that's great. And we have batting, but yeah, we we missed on the ace. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, and Chris, I appreciate the call. And I, I was here in this exact same studio in ooh, over the summer. I, I don't know which month it was, but I, I said with, with Houston, the Yankees have a problem. I said it. And then, you know, they improved, they improved the Yankees, and, and I really thought that the Yankees had a chance. I really did. And, you know, they ran into the buzzsaw. That is the Houston Astros. And then that first game, you know, after that first game, everybody's thinking, oh, the Yankees have a real shot. They have a real chance. And it turns out that, you know, in fact, they didn't. And for me, two reasons why we're talking about it all night. One, like you just said, no no ace starting pitcher. And maybe three things. Two would be the over uh, over exposure of the bullpen. And that falls squarely on and Aaron Boone, I believe. And three is 
runners with scoring position, and their batting average was just so lackluster. But let's transition over to the Mets now, and we'll take one call, and then I'll give you my selection. Jim, in Brooklyn, you're on the fan. How you doing, Daniel? Thanks for taking my call. All right, what do you got for us tonight? Well, yeah, I got a great manager for the Mets. Uh, I'm into Paul O'Neill. Paul O'Neill. Yes, he's a great candidate to be manager for the Mets. And why do you say that? A leading by example. I mean, when you get into the playoffs, it's a, it's different than the regular season. You mm-hmm. got to turn it up a notch. You're not going to be able to do that during the season because it's, the season's so long. You can't play during the season as you play in the playoffs. But when you're in the playoffs, every pitch is every pitch counts all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? It's not like that during the season. It just can't be. 162 games, you can't play it like that. But when you're in the playoffs, you give it everything you've got. And guess who gave it everything he had when he was in the playoffs? Yeah, Jim, I appreciate the call. And I, I think... I mean, Paul O'Neill would probably be a good manager. Um, I just always impartial to those that are catchers or shortstops or even pitchers, an outfielder, and that's no knock on outfielders, but they're not really involved in every single play. Um, but I like Paul O'Neill's passion. I think he was a fine player, like you said. Um, but the fact of the matter is that the Mets have five candidates, and Paul O'Neill is not one of them. And you know who else isn't one of them? Joe Girardi. The New York Mets swung and missed on Joe Girardi. And as you know, he was my number one choice, Joe Girardi, for the Mets. He interviewed two times with them, and then he signed with the Philadelphia Phillies. And it's a three-year deal. There's been really no dollar amount released yet. Um, And I'm sure Mets fans are dying to hear what that number is. And what that number is, is, you know, if their team could have afforded it or not in retrospect. You know, um, but we'll find out soon enough because Joe Girardi's introductory press conference is tomorrow, Monday, and it's interestingly enough almost exactly ten years to the day that his Yankees defeated the Phillies in the 2009 World Series, and it's the last time the Yankees would appear in a World Series. Now, the Phillies, Phillies got a good one, and I'm telling you why because. Joe Girardi's win total is the fifth highest among active major league managers now that he's active with at least 500 games experience. So we're looking at his Joe Girardi's 554 winning percentage ranks third behind only Dave Roberts and AJ Hinch. And you know what those guys did, especially AJ Hinch. And the GM of the Phillies says that Joe brings a high character and tremendous work ethic to his position, and he is a proven winner, which he is. That's my words. I look forward to working with him, and I believe that he's the right manager to lead our team to the next level. Brian Cashman has said that he's been a winner his entire career. I expect nothing but the same in Philadelphia. And Girardi led the Yankees to a postseason appearance in six of his last ten seasons and won a World Series in a six-game series versus the Phillies. And the Phillies did what the Mets did not, and that was move swiftly. I said on here that they have to move swiftly. And that makes me sort of kind of think now that since they didn't, well, maybe Joe Girardi was never really a serious candidate to begin with. Because when you, when you know you want something, 
no matter what it is. I mean, I know what I do. I, I go out and get it. So when you look at the timeline, Gabe Kapler was fired on 10-10, which was a week after Mickey Calloway. And so if he's hired, if he's fired on 10-10 and they have a new manager by 10-24, only 14 days later, good for them. Yet you have Mickey Calloway fired on, on, on the 3rd of October and 24 days later they're still looking. Or what are we, 25 at this point maybe? Still looking. And if the Mets really, if the Mets let Callaway go, I mean, you would think that they would be looking for someone with experience because he didn't have that. Why else would they have gotten rid of him and his $850,000 salary, which is peanuts, if Brody Van Wagenen is making all the calls anyway? And, and a bombshell candidate? I don't know. Looks to me that the Mets are going to go with another unproven commodity in the major leagues at that, you know, at the very least. And I put up a, a poll on Twitter, at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. I invite you to cast your vote on who the Mets, you think, should pick as their next manager. Because there are five candidates. And as far as these bombshell candidates, I mean, I've heard A.J. Hinch in the media, being mentioned in the media. I, I don't have any connection to the Mets. I, I don't know this. I, I just, A.J. Hinch, though, because he's best friends with Brody Van Wagenen. A.J. Hinch? Why would he leave Houston? And, okay, I can understand maybe the drama that's going on in the front office, but, I mean, he's got a young core of players. He's got Verlander still on the team. He's got Correa and Altuve and Springer and Bregman. He's not going anywhere. I hate to, hate to burst your bubble, Mets fans. Forget about it. I thought Jessica Mendoza was a great candidate. Um, I would love to see a female manager in baseball, and, and why not Jessica Mendoza? She's a special advisor to Brody Van Wagenen right now. And then I put out there Alex Rodriguez I mean I think Alex Rodriguez would be great the guy loves the game he, he clearly knows the game but obviously it I mean as far as anybody knows it's not any of these three so my question is is there a bombshell candidate though or was that just a typical deflection technique surrounding the news of Girardi to the Phillies and Mets fans the Mets fan misery you're now going to start working to convince yourselves that another person is better suited for the job that everybody knows that Joe Girardi was the perfect fit for. And speaking of misery, I mean, now the World Series is 2-2, but in case the Nationals do win the World Series, well, guess who their first home series of 2020 is against? The New York Mets. That's the banner raising. This is a tweet from Wayne Randazzo. Banner raising, ring ceremony, gold numbers, at least there will be five months for everyone to mentally prepare for that. <laughs> um, Anthony Nicomo also tweeted that Joe Girardi always made the most sense for the Mets. He checked every single box, managerial experience, New York experience, preparedness, professionalism, in-game acumen. The Mets have another good, have other good and rather intriguing candidates, but the pressure now increases to get this one right. And two guys that the Mets interviewed and we'll probably take this over over the next commercial break, but two guys that the, neck, that, that the Mets interviewed were, in the first round anyway, Mike Bell and Skip Schumacher. They did not get a second round of interviews. So I put my Mets cap on, and I'm trying to figure out why these two didn't get second round interviews. And there isn't what I found a, a real link between the two of them. I, I really couldn't pinpoint exactly why not, because Skip Schumacher, just so you know, he's a former CAA client, which you know is Brody Van Wagenen's former agency as well. 
Schumacher was an MLB player, has experience as a first base coach. He has front office experience. Was it that he was not a manager? Bell? I don't know because Mike Bell has three seasons as a minor league manager. He's the current Diamondbacks VP of player development. And prior to that, six seasons as a club's director of player development, which oversaw the Diamondbacks minor league affiliates. And he had, albeit a very short, 19-game MLB career. So a com- at that point, I concluded that maybe a common denominator between the two of them could be their front office experience as a turnoff. So going with that vein, I mean, this is hard for me because for the Mets, it was Girardi or bust. And the Mets have whittled it down to second rounds interviews for a guy named Eduardo Perez, which I'm sure you've heard, a guy named Carlos Beltran, someone else named Derek Shelton, there's a Tim Bogar, and there's a Luis Rojas. And let me tell you, I did a Adam Gase deep dive into each one of these guys, and I have my number one and my number two. But I kind of wanted to present them to you and then you can sort of make your own decision and, and let me know. Um, and again, I did put the poll online. We have a couple. Of, we have we have five votes. <laughs> Get your votes in. It's seventeen minutes left at Coach MCC ARTAN. Um, and candidate number one. And we are going to take this over the break. So candidate number one is Eduardo Perez, former first baseman, former outfielder, fifty years old. This is like a dating show. He's fifty years old. He has his most recent experiences with Sirius XM and ESPN. I'm sure you've seen. And he does have front office experience. So at that point, I could cancel the fact that Bell and Schumacher, that was not the turnoff for them. Maybe they just didn't like him. I I don't know. I wasn't in on the interviews, clearly. But when you look at Eduardo Perez, uh, his pros and cons. One, pro. He's got World Baseball Classic managerial experience. Um, He's managed Columbia to a 1-2 and record in 2013, but the team did not qualify for the main tournament's pool play. From the Astros' website, it says that he was the Puerto Rican coach in 2009 for the World Baseball Classic, the hitting coach. Finished, the team finished second in on-base percentage at 409 and seventh in batting average among the 16 teams. Number two pro for me for Eduardo Perez is that he also has experience as a big league hitting coach and a bench coach, which I think goes a long way. And this could, number three, also be a con, too, that he's married to the analytics. I mean, married to it. He's presented at the Sabre Analytics Conference in Boston in 2018. So I also think you need to have a feel. You need to have a balance. You can't be too one way or the other. I like the fact that he's a former player, 13-year career with one, two, three, four, four teams. Seems like the guy's got a mayor-like personality, a good communicator. Maybe he's easy to work with. But the cons for him, no managerial experience at the MLB level. But, of course, you can point to Boone, Cora, Baldelli, right? Does it really that matter that much? Columbia didn't even make pool play, and he had Dilson Herrero and, and uh, Gio Urshela on the team. And he's a media member himself, so maybe he can handle the media well in New York. And I will reveal the, the next four candidates, and my choice 
after the break. Join me and Evan Roberts tomorrow. We'll break down the entire sports weekend. All the football, the Giants and the Lions, the Jets and the Jaguars. We'll look at the World Series. We'll also do some basketball. The Nets and the Knicks playing on a Friday night. We'll break that down on Monday as well. Carl Banks will join us. A loaded show on a Monday in October. Beningo and Roberts, 10 to 1 on the fan. Sports Radio 66, Sports Radio 1019 FM, WFAN, WFAN FM, New York. And I'm Danielle McCartan on that WFAN New York. This is McCartan after midnight. We're rolling at 323 in the morning. And we're right in the smack dab right in the middle of that short break of diving into the Mets managerial candidates, the five remaining ones, because Joe Girardi, as you know, is out. And we're on number two. Number two, I think you might know his name, Carlos Beltran, former outfielder, 42 years old. I feel like I need, like, dating music here, dating show music. 42 years old. His front office experience is a special advisor to Brian Cashman. Um, You know that. Being in New York, you know that. Obviously, he's one of the most beloved Mets. And Brian Cashman would not let him into the inner circle if he did not know what he was doing. He knows how to handle the New York media. He knows it as a Yankee, and he knows it as a Met. He's heavily involved in mentoring the younger players in New York. And his time here, as close to a player manager as you can get. Allegedly, he's a really good communicator, and he's highly regarded by his former players, coaches, and managers. And who has put in a good word on his behalf? Well, none other than Terry Collins and Omar Minaya. So the con for him, some cons, well, Carlos Beltran has never coached or managed, coached or managed at any level. And even I needed to become an assistant coach before I became a varsity coach. Well, that well, let's not go there. Number two, is it, Carlos Beltran is allegedly only open to the Mets job. He declined interviews with the Cubs and Padres this year. But he interviewed when Aaron Boone was hired. Why? Why is that? Well, does he know that the Mets are the surest of those options? Cubs, Padres, Mets? Will the teams play mask any potential mistakes, a la Mickey Calloway? Is he not planning to be there long? Win and leave, maybe? I don't know, but to me, that's a little funny. Um, Why would you decline interviews with Cubs? And If this is what you want, right? I mean... Wouldn't you want to go on an interview with the Cubs and the Padres, not just the Mets? Is it Mets or bust for him? I, I, I don't really like that idea. And again, the, there's a poll on my Twitter page, at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N, getting your votes in. Uh, Derek Shelton, I'm not sure if Derek Shelton got a second interview. Who's He's the Twins bench coach, 49 years old. He's also in the running for the Pirates job, and, and I've seen that come up a lot in my research, so... You know, we'll kind of glaze over Derek Shelton because I I think he's going to the Pirates. I mean, he's a former catcher, which is great. He's coached under Eric Wedge, Joe Madden, Rocco Baldelli. Um, Coaching experience, as as we just said, the Twins bench coach. He's got a Cano connection for what that's worth, and Cano played for him while he managed the Gulf Coast League Yankees. I mean, I also like the fact that the guy's climbed, climbed up the ranks. He's been the hitting coach with two different teams. He's been a quality control coach. He's now a bench coach, and I, I kind of like that because that's that's the way to do it, right? Con for Derek Shelton, um, although he's a former catcher, he's never caught a game in the big leagues, just a two-year minor league stint with the Yankees. 
He's a bench coach, so that means he doesn't experience the media daily. And coming to New York, well, we've heard that it's a different animal. I mean, I don't know. I've never been on the outside of this, so that's what I've heard. And maybe maybe his non-connection to the Mets might be a hindrance. I mean, also, Mets fans were looking for a splash. I mean, Girardi, obviously, and I've gotten calls on Buck Showalter and, and Dusty Baker on here, which, by the way, happened to be the Phillies' choices. And um, maybe the Mets are afraid of the Derek Shelton who comments. Then Kennedy, what are we on? Number four, Tim Bogar. He's the Washington Nationals' first base coach, and maybe you've seen him on, uh, you know, in the World Series. Um, he's 52 years old. He's also got front office experience with the Angels. He's interesting because he's been a coach for the three best managers to ever, or maybe not ever, but very good managers. Joe Madden, Bobby Valentine, and Terry Francona. He's been a coach for all under all three of them. And, you know, doing that and observe, sitting back and observing, it's hard to imagine that he hasn't picked up a thing or two having watched these three men in action and maybe what not to do as well. So, therefore, it's obvious that he's climbed up the ranks. I mean, this year, his Nationals ranked second in the National League in stolen bases. And stolen base percentage was also second. They they swiped 78% of the bases that they tried in 2018. And they were fourth in 2019. And also, he's also Washington Nationals infield instructor, which... To me, that's so important. I mean, I always think that the better coaches, quote-unquote, that want to move up in the ranks, they work with the pitchers, the catchers, and the infielders. That's been my experience anyway. And like I said, you've seen him in the World Series, right? He's in the first base coach box of the Washington Nationals. This guy's won manager of the year at three different minor league levels. The Mets drafted him in, in 1987, so there is sort of a connection there. He played four seasons in Queens. He was used mostly as a pinch hitter and utility infielder. And former Astros GM Jerry Hunsicker, Hunsicker who traded for him in, in a trade with the Mets, said very recently, and this is the quote, he has, and oh, and, and he's now the senior advisor with the Dodgers, this Hunsicker guy. So he says, he has the people's skills to deal with today's players. He has a great mind for the game. Having played the middle of the infield, he was in view of a lot of action on the field. He has now gotten the experience in his coaching career to be a solid uh, strategist. strategist. And number six is Bogar's 22-game string as interim manager of the Texas Rangers in 2014 after Washington was let go. I mean, there were people in Texas that wanted him to manage their team in 2015, right then and there. Khan, though, he's had a contentious relationship with Bobby Valentine after being his bench coach in Boston. And I've been in this situation, and I've been Tim Bogart in this situation. Bobby Valentine felt undermined by Bogart. And um, according to Bogart, you know, Valentine just didn't tell him exactly what he wanted. And that led to a communication breakdown. And then obviously both sides were unhappy. And I've been Bogar in this situation, just trying to do the best you can. And your superior 
maybe felt threatened by you and, and, and didn't want to communicate with you. I don't know. So for me, that's not real, a real con, especially because later in the article that I read that players were going to him with issues and not to Bobby Valentine. And that happened with me too. The players were coming to me with the issues, not to the head coach. And so for that reason, Tim Bogar sounds pretty genuine to me. Valentine, I'm sure, has a different story, as does the head coach that I worked under has a different story, I'm sure. And another thing about Bogart, besides his 22 games that he did with the Rangers, he doesn't have any MLG, MLB managing experience, but, you know, Baldelli, Cora, and Boone. Okay, that puts that to rest. So, finally, leads us to Luis Rojas, who is currently serving as the Mets quality control coach, 38 years old. And I'm also not sure if he's gotten a second interview, but for what it's worth, I mean, he knows these Mets. Luis Rojas knows these Mets. And he's managed them in the minor leagues. 12 out of the 25 players currently on the 40-man roster, he's managed. Pete Alonso, Jeff McNeil, Ahmed Rosario, Jacob deGrom, and Michael Conforto. So it's probable that he's got a great relationship with these players and others in the organization. I mean, he is their go-to. When they want to fix something, they go run to his little office and they look at the film. And the second pro for him, for Luis Rojas, is this. The past season, he served on Callaway's coaching staff. He helped communicate analytics and player issues between player and manager, right? So he was like the go-between. And his job as the quality control coach, which is sort of a new position, well, part of the responsibility is to build the analytical reports. And he would give them to the coaching staff to implement. And I'd have to ask, and, and maybe someone that's in the uh, the clubhouse can ask this, but Ahmed Rosario, his he became married to analytics in this summer, and I talked about it on here. And it made him a markedly better defensive shortstop in, I guess it was mid-August. And I wonder how much Luis Rojas played in that. What was his role in that? I mean, his name isn't really mentioned, just Callaway's, but I'd like to, I'd, I would love to ask Ahmed Rosario especially what level Luis Rojas played in his really remarkable defensive step, I guess we can call it. And it, it was it was night and day difference. And he credited it, Rosario credited to analytics. And if Rojas is the analytics guy, well, there you go. Why I don't like Luis Rojas as as the manager for the Mets? Well, number one, obviously he lacks experience with the New York media. However, though, he might have been taking some mental notes on what to do and what not to do, watching Mickey Calloway. But, and this is a pro for me, but a lot of people are saying, well, he's too young. Well, at 38 years old, Rojas would be the second youngest manager in the MLB. And first, obviously, is going to be Rocco Baldelli. He's a year younger at 37 currently. But you know what? When you know what you're doing, I mean, like like I did when I coached softball, age is only a number. And if you can do it, you can do it. And who cares about your age? And if you have a good rapport with your players, it doesn't matter how old you are, whether you're on the young end of the spectrum or the old. And the problem with my experience is that the old couldn't relate at all. 
whereas I could. And Rojas has spent 14 seasons with the Mets organization, including eight as a manager at the minor league level. And Rojas has also served as the Mets outfield coach this season, helping Jeff McNeil shift from the infield to the outfield. Well, he's had experience in the outfield before, but not at the major league level. And the biggest hang-up I have about Luis Rojas is that there seemingly is a really big jump from quality control coach to manager. I mean, although he's managed at the minor league level, five different levels for the Mets, I, I, I don't know. I think that might be a really big jump. I think maybe bench coach, then manager might be the right way. But then again, Aaron Boone ran from the booth to the to the managerial bench for the New York Mets. And just a quick look over here at, at the, the poll, which is closing. So Luis Rojas has gotten 0% of the votes. Eduardo Perez came in third. Tim Bogar came in second. And Mets fans are calling for Carlos Beltran to be their next manager, based on my very, very informal poll on Twitter, at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. Carlos Beltran, huh? Well, I'll say it again, that for me, I wanted Joe Girardi to manage the Mets. It was an absolute perfect match, perfect marriage. And I guess we'll do a little drum roll, please, of the five remaining candidates that the Mets have called back for second interviews. My number one choice of recommendation to the Mets is Tim Bogar. My second choice, Luis Rojas. I think Bogar is a great fit for New York. You know, first of all, let's get straight. Joe Girardi was number one. But if it's not Joe Girardi, which it's not, I like that Bogart has has learned under Madden, Valentine, Francona. I like that he's managing or coaching first base in the World Series right now. That's experience. He's working with young players as well. And I'm not deterred by that story with Bobby Valentine because I was him in that situation. So I, I like Tim Bogart, number one, and I, I like Luis Rojas uh, as the second choice. I don't. I'm not sold on Carlos Beltran, Mets fans. We can talk more about this after the break. I'm McCartan after midnight. Danielle McCartan after midnight on the fan. Listen to Giants football today at 1 p.m. as Big Blue is in Detroit to take on the Lions exclusively on your flagship station for the New York Giants. The Fan Sports Radio 101.9 FM and Sports Radio 66 WFAN and WFAN FM New York. Little Drake here. I like this. I'm Daniel McCartan. McCartan after midnight. Back with you guys on WFAN Sports Radio in New York City, Lower Manhattan. Is it so rainy outside? It was a little rainy when I walked when I came in here. So um, we just were finishing up a, a very loaded topic of the New York Mets managerial candidates. I've selected my first and second choice. Well, my I guess it would be second and third because I wanted Joe Girardi for the Mets. But my first choice for the Mets would be Tim Bogar. My second choice would be Luis Rojas. And while the Mets have some question marks that they need to answer, so do the Yankees. Marty, thanks for hanging on for a very long time. You're on the fan. Yes, good morning, Danielle. Nice to talk to you. Uh, I like to talk about the Yankees, and uh, you mentioned early in the show, obviously, uh, Jared Cole has to be the number one target uh, once the season ends. Uh, If they can't get him, then I'm looking at uh, Madison Bumgarner. But one point I want to make about their rotation Uh, Don't forget that for most of the year, 
the Yankees did not have Luis Severino or Jordan Montgomery. Right. Uh, they lost most of the year due to injury, and I'm hoping uh, that next year they'll be able to avoid the injury bug and they'll be able to make a big contract, especially Severino at the top of the rotation. That would be a big plus for them. And uh, Jordan Montgomery, depending upon who else they get, he might be able to slide into um, C.C. Sabathia's number five slot or maybe become a factor in the bullpen. Yeah, uh, Marty, thanks for the call. It's a, it's a pretty good pretty good suggestion. Um, you got to see how Severino comes out of, you know, the injury protocol. I mean, he was, very, I guess, very limited in his exposure. Um, and the Yankees were very quick to pull the trigger on him with um, in terms of relievers in, in the postseason. Um, so I think, you, you know, you have to see what Severino is when it comes time after spring training. And what is he really? Though, I still don't see the Yankees winning, you know, being pushed over the top. See, if I'm making a rotation for next year, I'm I'm shopping and I'm buying myself, if I'm the Yankees, a number one, a clear-cut number one starter. I, I got to buy myself that. Second and third, maybe you can look at the two. They flip-flop them both. Maybe Severino is your number two. Maybe Tanaka is your number three. Or flip-flop them, Tanaka two, Severino three, if you're concerned about injury. I don't know. And then kind of we'll see what Montgomery is. Um, And we'll see what Hap is. We'll see what Paxton is. I, I just at, at that point there's a, there's a there's a dramatic drop off for me, and as mu- as good as Hap was, he's not anymore, and as good as Paxton was, he might still be, but still, Severino, Tanaka, Montgomery, Hap, Paxton, those really don't strike fear in oppo- uh, in the opposition in a short game, a short series. I mean, five game series is. You need a number one. The Yankees need a number one, and they need it. They have needed one for years. And because they didn't have a number one, they missed the World Series with Joe Girardi, and they missed the World Series this year. Joey Massapequa, you're on the fan. Hey, you know, you think the Mets could uh, do it this year, next year? Do what? Win the World Series, maybe next year the Mets. Uh, do I think the Mets can win the World Series next year? Um, I don't know if I would say win the World Series. I think we need to start first with getting to the playoffs. The Braves are going to be good again. So it's I'm looking at, here I am, a year in advance predicting the Mets. I would say wild card berth from the Mets next year for sure. But you saw what the Nationals did with the wild card berth. So anything can happen. And I think in, in a lot of ways the Mets and Nationals are similar. Um, they've had young hitters, young position players that are fairly not really well-known, really, seriously, um, besides a couple, which the Mets have a couple as well. But the main, and the bullpens are sort of not the best, the both teams. And the Mets and the Nationals are built upon their starting pitching rotation. And that's where the biggest similarity between the two teams is. So... Like they say, when you get into the postseason, anything can happen. And for the Nationals, anything is happening right now. So for the Mets, winning the World Series, like I just said, anything can happen. 
Um, and I, and, and a lot of Mets fans are probably like shaking their heads at the radio right now. Like, what is she talking about? But, you know, the Mets improved and I knew the Mets were going to improve this year. I predicted almost to the win number actually. And I, I, I think Mets fans don't give their team enough credit in a way. Um, because they do have a nice young core. They do have one of the best starting pitching rotations in the league. You got guys that can hit the ball. J.D. Davis can hit the ball. He can't really play defense too well, but he can hit the ball. J.D. Davis. And, and like, you got guys that hit for average. Like, Jeff McNeil. Man, that guy. He could play on my team any day, Jeff McNeil. If I'm building a team. He can build, play on my team any day he wants. Obviously, you got Pete Alonso. Come on. I mean, so the Mets have pieces. The Mets do have pieces. I'm just a little concerned about now do they take a step back because they have a new manager? I mean, I know it's not like an NFL system that the players now have to learn, but it's a different style that they're going to have to adjust to. And um, and I'm worried. I'm a little bit worried if I'm a Mets fan about the turnover, especially. Mike, in New Jersey, you're on a fan. How are you? Um, I don't like what they did. Once again, Everything with the Mets is on the cheap, okay? Girardi, Coach Joe Girardi would have been perfect for this team. Yes, but he would you have. get the same nonsense with these people all the time. They want us to they want to go on the cheap, and then they want us to come spend our money there. I'm totally dis- dis- disgusted with the ownership. I don't think as long as these people are continuing to own it, we're not going to get there. I really don't, you know. But the names I'm hearing, I don't even know these these guys, you know. And you're right, what you just said. I heard you say with Armand's of Pete Alonso and them, we have a nucleus of something special. But what do we get? We don't know. Come on, Tony Perez's kid. Why do we always go out and get these guys that have never done it? It it boggles my mind. They want my. I'm telling you, I'm not going next year. Just. Until maybe, well, give me till June and July and let me see what you're doing. You know, I'm not going to run back over there and give them my money. No. Would you have done it if Joe Girardi was the manager? Yes. Yes. Absolutely, because I think Girardi would have been the the perfect choice. Okay, people say he hid in his office when he was with the Yankees and he didn't talk. So why? The man came in, would come there, put his foot down, and these guys would know this is how it's going to run. Yes, I would have definitely considered going over there a couple times in the spring to see him with Girardi. Right now, no. I have doubts about like you just said. Whether they're going to do anything, I don't know. I don't like the idea either, Danielle and Brody. Brody is not... If you're a manager, okay, that's fine. But if you have to have the general manager telling you your lineup and who to start, no. There would have been major conflict there, I think, with Joe Girardi and that's front office, you know what I mean? Yeah, ultimately, Mike, thanks. I think that is uh, that is what happened. And I think that's why Brody Van Wagenen didn't go with Joe Girardi. And, and, and really, if I'm really reading the tea leaves, and, and I have no knowledge of this, I'm wondering if Joe Girardi ever really was a real candidate. Because like I said, the timeline is that Mickey Calloway was fired seven days before Gabe Kapler. Calloway was fired on October 3rd. Kapler was fired on the 10th. Here we are 14 days later, and and the Phillies have locked up Girardi. And like I said before, first of all, the Mets are still looking. And if you really, really want something, 
I can speak for myself when I really, really want something, I go and make it happen. I go and get it. So if the Mets really, really wanted Joe Girardi, they would have made the move before the Phillies did. And I think the Mets got in a little bit of trouble when, you know, the Cubs passed on Girardi. And they went with one of their own guys, former players. And I think the Mets were like, "Uh uh-oh, what do we do now? Let's drum up this bombshell candidate news. To me, I I really don't think there is a bombshell candidate. I think it's going to be one of these guys. And I think that was just sort of their way of sort of kind of lessening the blow. Like he just said, who? Like Derek Shelton, who? And I think, I think the Mets really missed on this. And Joe Girardi would be, would have been, now we can say past tense, would have been perfect. And, you know, Brody Van Wagenen, I'm still out on him, but I am more leaning towards favorable for him uh, in terms of what he did for the lineup. I mean, he, he, he didn't you want to lock down Joe, um, uh, Jacob deGrom, Mets fans? Didn't you want to lock him down so that there was no chance that he was going to go elsewhere? I mean, Van Wagenen made that happen. Um, brought up Pete Alonso finally. Brought up Jeff McNeil finally. I could say the one thing, though, the two things, I guess. Well, see, Edwin Diaz, everybody liked the trade at the time, and in hindsight's twenty twenty, everybody hates the trade, or, or the, the signing, I'm sorry, of Edwin Diaz. Hindsight's twenty twenty always. But at the time, everybody liked the move. And the one move I didn't like was that Cano move. Oh, that contract is going to haunt the Mets, like I said, every single time I come on here for years to come. Paul in Jackson Heights, you're on The Fan. Thank you, Danielle. Uh, I'm a huge Mets fan, and I agree with you that the Mets have a great nucleus. And you mentioned um, Jeff McNeil before. Mm-hmm. Not only is he a great contact hitter, he has a little pop in his bat. Yep. But the other thing is the guy plays infield and outfield. The guy will play left bench if you asked him to, and he would ha- do it with a smile on his face. Yes. And he loves it. You never hear him complain. Never Remember once. Jose Akendo? I don't know if you're old enough to remember him. No. He was this utility guy the uh, Mets had. He's a slap hitter, could play like every infield position. Mm-hmm. McNeil is like that, and he wound up on the Cardinals being a very good, almost all-star. But McNeil is like that but even better because he plays the outfield also. Mm-hmm. And he, like I said, he's got a lot more pop in his bat. Uh, I love uh, Jeff McNeil. And you're right. I mean, we got Alonzo. We got, let's not forget um, Smith. We got Pete Smith. We got like a stacked. Huh. Conforto is still a major league ball player that gets his hits. Nemo, Nemo, when he's healthy, is great. He's a great player. Um, I love him. Yeah. I mean, and then what happens when Cespit is? So it's like, going we, you know, well, Wilson Ramos is good. We got, even catcher is is okay. You know, I'm not complaining about it. I mean, right, exactly, Paul. And thanks for the call. You go and and here's another thing that Brody Van Wagenen did. You Mets had Travis Darno as your catcher. Travis Darno, who's I don't know, experienced some some sort of renaissance in Tampa. You had Travis Darno. Catching was an immediate upgrade or an immediate need for the Mets. And what did Brody Van Wagenen do? He went out and got you a catcher. A catcher that can hit. So that's why I'm saying I'm still out on Van Wagenen. He's only been here one year. The changes that he made, I'm kind of, I'm kind of okay with. And 
as far as Joe Girardi is, you know, they said, oh, you, you, you know, you break up with somebody, you have to come up with something. And what the Yankees came up with was that he wasn't, uh, what they say, uh, connecting with the younger players. That's what they came up with. Okay, sure, fine. But I had done some research, and I found an article when he, when he was fired um, that young players, Girardi says that young players did reach out and text him to express their condolences or whatever for his firing. And we have some late write-in votes here for my Twitter poll, at Coach MCCARTAN, um, at Just Follow MLB, Nick. He says that, sounds like he's he's going to vote, he says. Either way, he's writing in A-Rod and Buck Showalter. I like A-Rod. Um, but realistically, he says he would like Eduardo Perez. He doesn't like any of the other candidates, but it seems like the Mets are deliberately choking themselves out with these candidates if they're really... So, uh, yeah, I mean, Mets fans are... I mean, I guess... Still, the the leader of my poll is Carlos Beltran. And uh, maybe that's who the Mets end up with. We don't know. Hopefully a, a decision can come very soon. And until then, we will continue to speculate speculate here on the FANA. Um, more of your calls after break, 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan, After Midnight. Sports Radio 1019 FM. And good morning back with you guys here at 405 in the morning on WFAN Radio, coming to you live from the Mike Francesa Studios, set in the scene in lower Manhattan. It is still dark outside. Well, because it's so early. 405, or is it really that late? We are here on Halloween, well, the weekend before Halloween. And uh I love Seeing the costumes outside on my way in. I hope that if you guys are still at a Halloween party, why don't you go put some music on? Don't listen to sports radio at a party. Just kidding. Um, we're about at 420. We're going to come up on an interview with my very own interview with Yes Network's Chris Sheeran. We're going to talk some Knicks, some Nets. And what about the troll job by the Nets with their giveaway? That's probably like one of the best giveaways I've seen. Um, the number 11 Kyrie Irving jersey giveaway Friday night. We'll talk about R.J. Barrett's trajectory, the Kyrie Irving effect, and more. And, and, and Manny, what do you think? I, the, they're giving away Irving jerseys in Brooklyn on Friday night. I wanted to go to the game. That's a pretty cool giveaway. Really, really cool giveaway. And it also built that fan morale. Like, you saw the entire building in black. Yeah. It was like a blackout. And that's a big deal considering last year you saw like 50-50 splits with Knicks and Nets fans. Nets need that home court advantage. Yeah, and, and speaking of like giveaways, like I mean, I would love to get it. You, know, you get like the stupid stuff always. Like Jersey is awesome. Normally the best you're getting is like a towel or a rag or bobblehead. Yeah. You're getting a jersey, a real jersey. I know. Pretty cool. I know. They look pretty good too. They didn't. They weren't like marked up with any sort of like advertisements or anything on it either. Looks pretty authentic. Yeah. It was pretty remarkable. I know, I liked it. And, and and you know what? Another another one that I uh I went to a Yankee game once and Joe Girardi was handing them out actually by gate, um, the one closest to the subway. And um on in the Great Hall. I still use it. It it's a passport holder with it has like like credit card slots in it and everything and with the oh, Yankees it's really cool. on it. I still use it. And that was in two thousand nine. 
But imagine, like, getting an Aaron Judge jersey at a Yankee game. I know. Like, you never think to get something like that. I know. That's what I'm saying. So I think the Nets have set the standard, shall we say, for, for giveaways. Right. Everyone has to aspire to emulate the Nets now with that. And let's step it up, Yankees and Mets. Absolutely. <laughs> and back to Yankees and Mets. I mean, the Yankees have some questions that they need to answer in this offseason. And the Mets have, I, I think, a bigger one. And who's going to manage them? I have my choices. Well, my number one choice was Joe Girardi, as I've said again and again. But of the five remaining candidates have got that have gotten second, uh, second interviews, you know. Well, first of all, we're playing we're playing fantasy manager baseball on Twitter right now at Coach McCartan, and we've all decided we've come to a consensus. It seems that Alex Rodriguez would be our choice for manager of the Yankees. Forget the five, and if it had to be a bombshell candidate. Let it be A-Rod. And maybe A-Rod, I hope you're listening. And if you are, give us a call because I would love to pick your brain on this. And I know you're up late um, at the World Series, but hey, 877-337-6666. And if Alex Rodriguez calls up, I'll die. But um, he was a Mets fan growing up. Keith Hernandez was his favorite player. Wouldn't that be, you know, kind of cool for him to manage the Mets? Now we're playing fantasy managerial baseball. I get that. He is not on the Mets' known list, but if he was, I think he'd be the unanimous selection, no? David, Milford, Connecticut, you're on a fan. Yeah, hey, how you doing? Um, you know, I just, uh, yeah, A-Rod, that would, be, that would be really, really cool. But, uh, you know, I mean, I, mean, I think he's uh, living a pretty good life these days with uh, J-Lo and uh, Hollywood, and, you know, <laughs> doing a little TV every so often, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um. You know, for me, it, with the you know with the Mets, uh, you know, as well as most everyone that's been calling, and even yourself, Girardi was number one. And uh, you know, it's funny, like you know, as a Mets fan for you know my whole life and just die hard. When uh, certain things happen, you know, at times where like you just get this feeling when you hear it. And the day I heard that the Phillies had off had also fired their manager, I, uh, I you know I had seen my father that day, and I was like, you know, listen, you know. They, the Mets get Girardi in there for an interview. You don't let, let him leave that building right, exactly. without a contract. Yes. You know, it, you just you do it that right there and then. Yep, I, I tweeted and, that. Yep, exactly. Yep, yep. absolutely. And uh, you know, and without getting him, I to me, you, you stay old school, and you go Buck Showalter, Dusty Baker, you know, or um, you know, I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank on the third guy we've been talking about. Um, you know, yeah, cause, yeah, like you know, basically, yeah, like Showalter, you know, Baker, mm-hmm. or um, geez, what? Uh, I'm sorry. I I, I, like I said, I drew a blank on the third guy, yeah, but you guys okay. mentioned. Yeah, I got the people got the have been gist. mentioning the names, and um, I just, I just think old school uh, is the way to go. You know, and um, and to me, my number one is uh, I, I would love to see, I would love to see Showalter. He just uh, seems like uh, that kind of got that attitude to where you know he's going to deal with the media just fine. Mm-hmm. And uh, he just, to me, he just seems like that kind of, you know, kind of got that old school kick you in the butt when you need it kind of attitude. And I just, I think he'd be what this team needs, you know. So, uh, yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, have thanks, a good night. Thanks for the call, Dave. Um, so we have to get this, you know, out there that Buck Showalter is not one of the five that has, as to the best of anybody's knowledge, is not one of the five that is remaining in the Mets um, um, managerial search. The names are, again, uh, Eduardo Perez, Derek Shelton, Tim Bogar, 
and Luis Rojas. That's five, right? One, two, three, four. Right? That's five. I'm losing track here. Um, but but the fact of the matter is that, that Buck Showalter is not or has not interviewed twice. I don't even think once with the Mets, but I'm not sure about that. Alan, Staten Island, you're on the fan. Danielle, good morning to you. How's everything? Okay. How are you? First of all, and foremost, it's the first time I'm listening to you, and I think you're doing a wonderful job. Thanks. I appreciate that. Hey, no sweat. Real quick about the Mets. Yeah. Uh, been a Mets fan, gee, since 1970, quite some time. Mm-hmm. Saw a lot of ups, uh, saw more downs. And the way that things are constituted right now with this ball club, um, you know, I just keep harping on the fact to family and friends. I know it's what ifs, but what if there was a healthy Cespedes? What if there was a healthy Nemo, okay? And uh, what if there was a healthy Lowry for starters? I think we would be having this conversation, but it'd be more about them possibly, you know, okay, we made the wild card. Uh, We might not have gotten through, you know, the divisional, but at least a playoff run could have been there. Mm -hmm. And, And like any organization in pro sports, it really, really, really starts at the top. And the top I'm talking about, of course, are the Wilpons and as well, of course, uh, uh, Van Brannigan, the uh, Van Wagenen. You know, the uh, GM. Sorry about <laughs> yeah, that. It's, okay. it's a little late. I've been up for like almost 24 hours. Yeah, me but, too. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just drove back. We're not two nights in a row driving back from Washington. I went to both games. Oh, I'm you did? In, cool. Yeah, well, I'm in Washington, Washington. I'm in Woodbridge, New Jersey, waiting to cross the bridge to get over to Staten Island. I just had to get some gas in the car. But anyway, um, the thing that I'm trying to make for any pro sports team, and when I think of pro sports teams, I think organizational top, and the one that has come to my mind the last 20-plus years are the San Antonio Spurs and now the aforementioned Brooklyn Nets that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. I mean, it all has to be pure perfection from owner to management, meaning Van Brannigan, okay? And if they're not on the same page, and there's talk about still about the, you know, the Wilpons not wanting to spend money and so on and so forth, I really think once the top gets all squared away, then a manager. I think really, in a way, Girardi wanted to come. I really don't think they wanted to give him his numbers. And maybe because of Girardi's track record, say what you want. The guy did win a World Series. He was 200 games. He's 200 games over 500, one loss. Yep. Was the manager with the Marlins. I think he would have been a perfect candidate. What the Mets need to do is lower the standards of themselves a little bit and say, look, the guy we bring in, egos aside, let this guy have a voice both. One, of course, games are being played on the field in the dugout and also has to be in complete sync with Van Brannigan and as well as the owners. And I think once they let that dander down a little bit and say, hey, look, you know what? We need to make change amongst ourselves. This team's going to be a success. And if they could just shore up that bullpen, which was a real, you know, the team was three games out of a playoff spot, yeah, right. wild card, yep. and had that, bullpen, and I'm not going to put it all on Diaz, because Diaz is not the entire fault. I mean, there were some games that other relievers gave up, and even the starting pitching, but you know, 162 games, you see that. If they can just tighten these apron swings a little bit, and get in sync, and open their eyes a little bit, meaning upper management, and the owner, I think, you know, look at the Nets. As soon as they brought Marks in, look at this team. This team has been 
from rags since Jason Kidd. Now look at this team. Another two, three years, they're going to be an NBA champ. You could take that to the bank. <laughs> thanks, the- thanks, Al, for the call. Uh, you listen, Bertie Van Wagenen, uh, for what it's worth, got the Wilpons to open up their pocketbooks. I mean, look at the Cano deal. Look at the Diaz deal. I mean, so if anybody's going to do it, it, it might be him. John in Lindhurst, you're on the fan. Hi, Danielle. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. I, I think that, you know, with the, I know, what, like you said, we're doing fantasy management uh, here with the Mets. I don't think A-Rod would be a good fit, even if he was considered uh, for it. One guy's name that's not coming up that I'm surprised about is David Wright to be the manager of the Mets. I had David Wright. I don't think he wants to be the manager, but I had him as a bench coach is what I had him as. Right. And I figured because we figured A-Rod was a Yankee, and I know they tried this once just on a hockey note where they tried bringing Brian Trottier in mm-hmm. to coach the Rangers, and it didn't work out. Well, I don't think A-Rod would fit in with the Mets as well, but either David Wright would be one, or Wally Backman could be another one. I mean, he was in the Vegas system, and I know he had a falling out, but, I mean, they, they should try to bring somebody in that's been with the organization, knows the organization, and I think they would be more successful that way than trying to bring in, you know, Someone somebody brand new. from the outside. Right. Yeah. John, thanks for the call. And, and that's why Luis Rojas kind of ranks so high for me on my list because he has that familiarity factor with the young core of players that we've been discussing. Brian, West Palm Beach, Florida. You're on the fan. How you doing? I grew up in Westbury. I wanted to talk about the Yankees. Sure. I, pl- I played baseball for FSU. The problem with the Yankees, they're in Yankee Stadium. They're too righty. They need left-handed situational hitters. Right. Uh, don't sign Encarnacion. Mm-hmm. And he has a, a possible trade if you can tr- uh, uh, sign D.D. and then trade him in a package to Cleveland for Lindor. I read it in the New York Post. I don't know if yep. it's possible, but I think that's a great move. The Yankees need more left-handed hitters. They're in Yankee Stadium, Danielle. You know I, what I'm saying? Yeah. Ridiculous how righty the Yankees are. Years ago, we were talking about they didn't have any right-handed hitters, and they had all left-handed hitters. Now it's the opposite. There's too much. You know what I'm saying? I thought Cashman was a bad sign signing Stanton. Stanton looks like he's going to be injured all the time. And if I was GM, I'd probably make a deal since he's from Southern California with the Angels or the Dodgers mm-hmm. and get some prospects from the Angels. I'd rather go with the Dodgers and get some pitching prospects. And thanks, so. for, thanks for the call, Brian. Yeah, you know, and, and guys, it, it's very easy to say that, you know, the John Carlos Stanton trade, oh, he's he's injured, he, he stinks, and, and all that. Um, because there were many, I, I was in the minority of Yankee fans and Yankee, you know, people that cover the Yankees, that I thought that that signing was not a good signing. There was no room for him. They they didn't need him. They already had Aaron Judge in the outfield. And and they didn't need, he didn't fit. He didn't just quite fit. And like I said in, in, in the beginning, in, in my first opening monologue there, one of the questions I had, number, let me go back to it, number three on my list was, can the Yankees find a suitor to take on Stanton's contract, and do they want to? Send him to the Dodgers. Wasn't he rumored to go there to begin with? Get some prospects, figure it out. I don't know. 
Um, but I think you, if having him has created a, a total backlog in the outfield. And right after a little update here with Marco, we're going to be joined by Chris Sheeran to talk some Knicks and Nets basketball on the fan. Sports Radio 1019 FM. The fan. And Sports Radio 66. WFAN New York. And that's it. The Nets hold on. They outscored the Knicks 8-0 over the last 59 seconds of the game. Kyrie Irving, his first win in a Nets uniform. And he's the hero. So let's welcome in Chris Sheeran to the conversation on McCartan After Midnight on The Fan. Chris is a host, a field reporter for Yes Network, the New York Liberty play-by-play. I love that. And host of the Yes Network's And We're Off podcast. Chris, thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you, and I love the Liberty play-by-play as well. That's a lot of fun. Now, Chris, i, I got to ask you, you were at the game last night. We're going to talk some Knicks and Nets here with Chris. And there's been a lot of chatter in the media between these two teams, and it has certainly drummed up some interest for New York basketball this season, including me as a fringe basketball <laughs> fan. Um, could you put into words the atmosphere at the Barclays Center Friday night, especially after the first 10,000 fans received Kyrie Irving jer- jerseys? That's a pretty sweet well, giveaway. Yeah, it was. It was a bit, bit of a troll job, too, by the Nets, I think, and Jared Allen actually alluded to that uh, in the post game. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, you get, like, these bitter rivalries, between like the Yankees and Red Sox, and, and you get fans like going at it, and not just in a friendly manner, but in a like an awful manner. There, there was none of that last night. It was playful. I, I think this this back and forth between Knicks and uh, Nets fans, as, as at least as far as I'm concerned, at Barclays Center, there nothing. You know, there was a little skirmish on the court, but there was nothing in the stands. It, it was all good natured. It was good hearted. Uh, and fans saw a, a ridiculously good game. 19 points down, the Knicks come all the way back to take a three-point lead late in that game. And I'm telling you right now, when the Nets went on their final run, they went on an 8 nothing run the last 59 seconds of the game. And Danielle, no one. There was not a single fanny in their seat. <laughs> they were all standing. That's how into it it was. And it wasn't really loud on both sides until the Knicks started to roar back in the game, and their fans started to roar. And you got, it, I would say it was right that it was 50-50. The Nets would score, you'd hear a roar. The Knicks would score, you'd hear an equal roar. It was just, you know what it kind of reminded me like? It kind of reminded me like of a big-time, like an ACC or Big East college basketball game. It had that kind of vibe to it. It was a lot of fun. Well, Richard Jefferson on the broadcast said it was uh, like he likened it to a playoff game. But and then so uh, so Jared Allen after the game he says uh, the quote was almost to throw it in the Knicks' faces. Talking about the jerseys from right. a scale of one, uh, let's go zero to ten. Could you rate the troll job of the Nets? Um, again, I think it's playful, but. Um as David, uh, not, it wasn't David St. Hubbins, it was uh, his guitarist in the movie Spinal Tap with the uh, amps. It, usually they go to 10. Uh, that amp went to 11. I, I think that kind of went to 11. I, see, I think the Nets see the handwriting on the wall. They won the offseason. They won a free agency. They got KD, albeit he's hurt, and they got Kyrie. And we've, 
we've been able to see, Danielle, over the first two games of the season. Now, we knew this already. We, we've seen Kyrie play just in other places. Cleveland leading them back from a 1-3 deficit in the 2016 finals against the Golden State Warriors and winning that title, getting R.J. his ring, by the way. Uh, of course, with Boston, it didn't work out there. And now here with the Nets, it's just been such a fun ride. But as I just told one of my coworkers that, yes, we were texting each other about the game, just before I came on here, and we were saying, you know, we knew Kyrie was good, but it's seeing him on a nightly basis that I think Net fans are going to be extremely excited about. And that's no shade at D'Angelo Russell. I think he could be that player uh, in the years to come, but right now Kyrie is that otherworldly all-star, all-world player. And, yeah, and he's bringing out some some high talent here from New York. He, last night at the game, you had they showed Dellen Batantis, Aaron Judge, and CeCe Sabathia all sitting courtside. Now, I wanted to ask you, is the clout of Celebrity Row indicative of the trajectory of a team? Because everybody makes I, a big deal about the Knicks Celebrity Row. You know, I, I, I think we saw some of that last year with Michael Rappaport. He's, you know, he's a Knicks fan, uh, but he was showing out at Barclays Center, and this was after, of course, uh, the owner of the Knicks uh, threw one of the um, you know pieces of the backbone of those late 90s, early to mid-late 90s teams in Charles Oakley out of MSG last season. That's when you know Rappaport, I think, had enough and started going to Barclays Center, taking in some Nets games. But he has not stopped rooting for the Knicks. I have to give him credit. He is not a phony, but he did start coming over to Barclays Center. But seeing Robin Roberts was there as well, mm-hmm. Will Kim was also in the crowd. So, yeah, I mean, I think... You know, when you bring in guys like Kyrie and KD, even though KD is in street clothes, it's going to bring along star power. You know, stars are going to make the trip out to Brooklyn, and then they want to see these guys play, and they want to see them compete. And I'll tell you, over the first two games with Kyrie Irving, uh, everybody's getting their money's worth. He's been electric. And we're speaking with Yes Network's Chris Sheeran on McCartan After Midnight on The Fan. Now, let's talk a little Nets angle here, and then we'll, we'll hit on the Knicks. You know, the Nets are coming away with, like, the first laugh and the first, I likened it to a yeah. TKO, and the first, yeah. there's four battles of this of this season between the Knicks and Nets, but in a game where they led by as many as 19 points and featured, I mean, to the best of my knowledge, only one brief lead change, a positive takeaway for me for the Nets is that they had five double-digit scorers, including Spencer Dinwiddie's 20 off the bench. Now, for that's the second time in two games. So what does that tell you about the Kyrie Irving effect? Like, that's got to be a nightmare to defend. Well, here, here's what the dichotomy is between those first two games. The first game you had Kyrie go off for 50 because no one in the first half could hit the side of a barn with a beach ball. I mean, it was all Kyrie all the time. Uh, and the bench only put up 21 total points. So Dinwiddie's 20 against the Knicks. I mean, you have to look at that and say he almost had the entire... Uh, bench production by himself in the first game. In the second game, he puts up 20. The entire bench puts up 47 points. And I think that is exactly the Kyrie Irving effect that Kenny Atkinson thought he would see in that first game. I just think they were a little out of sync against the Timberwolves. Uh, I know Dinwiddie was trying to force some alley-oops to DeAndre Jordan. Uh, they connected on a couple in the game against the Knicks. We saw that. Um, but I really think when you add a player, the caliber, the talent level of a Kyrie Irving, a six-time All-Star, we know what he's done, Danielle. And to put him on that floor, 
you heard Joe Harris last night or the, the night before in the post game after the Knicks game say uh, somebody asked him, "What do you do when Kyrie is getting hot like that?" And Joe just said, "Give him the ball and get out of his way." That should be on a T-shirt. <laughs> I mean, that's exactly the type of player the Nets know they have now. They know that down the stretch, during the last seconds of the game, there's no secrecy. There's no big, you know, national secret. He's going to get the ball, and it's going to be in his hands. And if he had 52 points the other night, we're looking at the Nets being 2-0 to start the season. And it, interesting to me was that Kenny Atkinson at the postgame, he said he contemplated taking a timeout there in that last possession, and he decided a, not to. That's a tremendous point out of you. I'm glad you brought that up. And what Kenny said is, you know, the, the type of player he is, do I take a timeout and then they get to, you know, substitute yep. and they get to double him. So, yeah, that's a great point for you to spot that in the postgame show. Kenny brought that up. And, uh, yeah, you just let him do his thing, and you get rewarded like you did last night. He hits the big three, puts them ahead for good. Uh, I, I saw Evan Roberts tweet out when the Knicks came back and took the lead that it was a nightmare. But uh, hopefully, uh, thankfully for, for Evan and his team, the Nets, uh, they, they made it a dream come true instead of a nightmare with that first win over the Knicks. Now, we're talking with Chris Sheeran of the Yes Network on WFAN. Now, Chris, i got to ask you, let's flip over to the Knicks side now. I'm watching R.J. Barrett last night. I, I checked up some of his stats. He's averaging 18.5 right. points a game. Is he living up to the hype of being this third overall pick this season? I think he is. I, I think the kid is special. It's only you got to remember something. It's only two games. Mm-hmm. He had a debut where he had 21 points against the San Antonio Spurs, and the Knicks were down 16 in that game and battled back. Uh, you know, Barrett is a player, but I don't want to see him running the point. I just discussed this, too. With someone, I don't want. I want to see him at the two. That's where he's going to flourish off the ball. If the Knicks, the Knicks have a lot of talent. Let's be honest. I mean, they just have to gel. They have to find chemistry. These are a lot of new guys. There was one guy in the starting lineup, or two guys, excuse me. Mitchell Robinson started as well, but between him and Trier coming off the bench, I mean, those were were two standouts last year for this Knicks team in a 17 win season. If you could have standouts, I mean, yeah, but. Um, I, I just think Barrett will flourish better in the two, and if they if they're able to get a solid point guard, and I know that's not easy, but if they are able to get a point guard to help him go to off the ball, he's going to be able to grow. He's going to be able to flourish, and you know who knows? In ten years, we might not be saying the Knicks lost the lottery. We might be saying the Knicks won the lottery with this kid. Mm-hmm. It's too early to tell. I can't go one way or the other. I'm not going to give you a hot take because you can't give a hot take about somebody after two games. But what I've seen from the kid and his competitiveness and the way he plays on both sides of the floor, he's going to be something special. Chris, though, stuck out to me, two for seven at the free throw line. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. Is it nerves? Yeah, maybe. Um, I, I just, that'll come. You got to remember something too, and this is something I thought about on my long ride home from Brooklyn last night mm-hmm. because I was thinking about Barrett, and I was like, you know, this kid—he's what, nineteen, twenty years old. He—he he went to Duke one year. Usually, these guys, you know, if you think about food that marinates, and if you marinate like a steak or a London broil all day, when you cook it. And if you tenderize it, and if you cook it, it's going to be tender. It's going to be great. 
that's what these guys who, who used to go to school for four years, by the time they got to the NBA, they had their well-rounded game because they were able to work on it for four years in college. Now, saying that, I can't fault these guys for coming out when they do. The money is just too big. I mean, I get it. I'm never going to like chastise somebody for coming out and taking money. But you're seeing these young kids, even though R.J., Richard Jefferson, said last night on our broadcast, you know, a lot of kids at his age come up into the league and they don't have an NBA body. He has an NBA body. So he just gotta, he's got to develop into this stuff. And this is where the, the magnifying glass, Danielle, is going to be on Coach Fisdale. Mm-hmm. Coach Fisdale is going to be either a great coach who's able to develop players like Kenny Atkinson, his staff, and Sean Marks, or we're going to see a Knicks team regress, not win more than 17, 20, 25 games. And is, is that an improvement? I don't know. We're going to see a lot from Fisdale this year, too, to see if he can bring Barrett along and, along and some of these other young guys along as well. So putting a nice little bow on this, then, do you know or have any insight about what was exchanged? Because they showed on the broadcast that, that the final, the closing of the game, they had a, the nice hug between Irving and Barrett, and they were talking mm-hmm. to each other for a while. Do you know what was said or can I guess what was said? I, I don't know what was said, but if I were to venture a guess and speculate, I would think it's game recognizing game. It's two guys who went to Duke, two guys who have kind of the same lineage. Kyrie didn't play a lot his one year at Duke. Uh, he got hurt. It was actually at the Meadowlands. Um, and Barrett played the one year there. So they have Coach K, uh, same lineage as i said the bloodlines are there and to me that's just Kyrie welcoming a rookie game recognizing game probably telling him you've got plenty of time to get this figured out uh 86 all the white noise that's around you you got to block that out i just think it was somebody being a mentor to a young kid who's coming up and starting his career in the biggest city uh in the country on the planet so I just think that was a uh, classy veteran move by Kyrie to go and talk to him and give him some words of encouragement. Now, next time they square off is a little less than a month from now, Knicks and Nets, but it's at the Garden. Do the Knicks do their own little giveaway for that game? What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I I don't think they do. I mean, maybe they steer clear. Maybe they're – I mean, I know the Twitter battles between the team's Twitter accounts can sometimes go over the top, and maybe there's something like that. Ah, maybe they fire back. I don't know. I just think uh, Kenny Atkinson said it. I think this is what people in the New York area have to focus on that are fans of, of both of these teams. He Kenny said that Atkinson. it's good when they're both good. Yes. Yeah. He, he says he wants both of these teams to get better because not only, obviously, does it make New York basketball better and put New York basketball back on the map, it makes the league better mm-hmm. to have these teams playing better. So let's just look forward to that. Let's just look forward to the Knicks developing these guys. And if you look at it, Danielle, really quick, the Knicks are kind of going the same route. They're using that model that the Nets use, bringing a bunch of guys in, one-year deals and options. They have their six guys under contract next year, 24 and under, and Randall's the 24-year-old. So they're concentrating on seeing something that works with the hopes of getting some free agents in here and doing the same thing the Nets do, maybe even possibly still building from the draft as well. So even though it might look bleak now, the future has the potential to start to turn around, obviously for the Nets because they're already there, but for the Knicks as well. 
Chris, thanks for checking in with us tonight on McCartan After Midnight and on The Fan. My audience and I, obviously, we truly and really appreciate your insight on these Knicks and Nets. Danielle, anytime you need me, all you got to do is shoot me a text. You know that it was a pleasure, my pleasure. Thank you. And how did that go? I mean, I, I, I tweeted uh, while that in- interview was going on. I would like you guys to tell me the best giveaway that you would think that your team can give away this season. I got a couple good ones. I'll read some of them um, on the air right after the break. And I just want to say thanks again to Chris. Hi, this is Bob Papa. Get ready for our Sunday NFL triple header, starting with the Giants and Detroit Lions today at 1 p.m., followed by the Cleveland Browns and New England Patriots and wrapping up with the Green Bay Packers and Kansas City Chiefs exclusively on your flagship station for Giants football and the NFL. The Fan, Sports Radio 1019 FM and Sports Radio 66, WFAN and WFAN-FM, New York. And this is... Cardi B, Camila Gabeo with Ed Sheeran, and they're go- it's talking about going. It's a brand new song. talking about going south. So the Jets are going south to Jacksonville. There you go. The Jets are going south to Jacksonville. Take on Leonard Fournette and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, some keys to watch. Some matchups to watch. I mean, really, but hey, some matchups to watch for the Jets. Jacksonville is a. Uh, one, I would like to see how Leonard Fournette does versus the Jets' rush defense. Fournette leads the AFC with 715 rushing yards, second in the NFL. But the Jets, though, surprisingly, have done a good job this season against the run. They hold opponents at 3.3 yards per carry, and that's good for number two in the NFL. So if Leonard Fournette becomes a non-factor or a minimal factor in this game, Jets might have a chance. Now, number two, maybe should have been bumped to number one, is the Jacksonville's pass rush versus the Jets' offensive line and Le'Veon Bell. Uh, Because Jacksonville has posted 20 sacks through seven games. And Adam Gase, here's my Gase impression on the Jacksonville defensive front. Tough. It's good. It's a good defense. Hadn't changed. It's the same net team that we played, blah, blah. They were tough last year when we played them. They cause problems. Calais Campbell is as good as I've seen him play. Miles Jackson is doing is playing well as well. Uh, really? Bell is coming off his best performance this season with 70 rushing yards only on 15 carries. And a bright spot for that could be the fact that the Panthers just ran in week five. Well, not just, but in week five, they ran for 285 yards versus Jacksonville. But I'm sure they've tightened that up since then. Uh, and number three, I have my, my, my I have, I'm in a free fantasy football league, DJ Shark. And I don't know if I started him this week. I'm going to have to take a look at that. Um, but him versus the Jets secondary, he's a wide receiver for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, he leads the team with 33 receptions, Shark. And he slowed down, though, in week six and seven after a really, really hot start. And everybody was adding him after, like, the first couple weeks. Um, do I have him starting? Oh, actually, it looks like I dropped him. <laughs> Oops. Oh, yeah, I dropped him for Cole Beasley. That's what it was. Anyway, um, so um, maybe I might pick him up again, but he's got 33 receptions, team high, has slowed down week six and seven. And why? I think because, you know, there's some tape out on him. And in, in the last two games, the teams that have doubled him with a safety single high, he still, he still remains a deep threat. And because Tremaine Johnson is ranked something like 93 out of all quarterbacks, like 133 or so, but he's ranked like, I think it's, I think I remember seeing 93. I mean, 
Shark might have a big day, and I might pick him up <laughs> as I sit here looking at my team who, what do I have? I'm a 49% underdog. Ah, uh, I had to pick up Jimmy Garoppolo because I had, uh, what's his name? Pat Mahomes as my quarterback, but he's out this week. So Garoppolo, I think, uh, I don't know. I don't know who I dropped Shark for, but it might have been Garoppolo. Also, my kicker, Justin Tucker, is on a bye week this week, so I had to pick up Josh Lambeau in Jacksonville. So I hope this is a high-scoring affair. <laughs> um, the Jets are, are six-point underdogs going into the game, and my prediction is that I think that the Jaguars will pull this one off, 21, Jets 10. And that game, the 1-5 and five Jets are at the 3-4 and four Jacksonville Jaguars, and that's 1 p.m. on CBS. And we can talk more about that. And how, you know, Adam Gase doesn't really have a good hold on on, on the team. Because oh, we could do, do it right now before we get into some Giants talk. The Jets are floundering. And what are they doing with the quarterback of the future on the roster, a premier running back, and two first-round draft picks on the defensive line, and Jamal Adams? Can't forget about him. Quick look at the NFL Week 9 power rankings or Week 8 power rankings. You got to scroll all the way to the bottom to number 29 to find the Jets. The only teams ranked below them are the Bengals and the Redskins and the Dolphins. Bengals, Redskins, Dolphins. And then, and then if you look at the projected draft order for 2020, Jets are sitting at six ahead of them. First pick overall would be the Dolphins, followed by the Bengals, followed by the Redskins, followed surprisingly by the Giants. I'm a little surprised by that. Fifth pick in next year's draft if the season ended today would be the Falcons, and the Jets hold the sixth. And if you look at the Jets' remaining schedule, out of those teams that I just mentioned, the top six draft picks, obviously uh, Jets are six, so top five draft picks, the Jets play any combination of that team, one, two, three, four, five times. So the Jets are currently at one and five, and they theoretically have some five winnable games left, and theoretically they can end up at six and ten, and unfortunately that's going to buy Adam Gase another year. Another wasted year, with a non-elite, middle-of-the-road draft pick, and Adam Gase. Wonderful, if you're a Jet fan. Just wonderful. So some Giants kind of keys to victory, keys to the game. Giants are, of course, playing at the Detroit Lions, 1 p.m. on Fox, and the radio broadcast right here on WFAN. Um, so some news. Both teams are coming off three-game losing streaks. Where the Lions, though, is a little bit more impressive. The Lions have lost in a row to the Chiefs, the Packers, the Vikings. The Giants have lost to, sort of impressive, the Vikings, the Patriots, which that was a hard-fought game until, like, I don't know, six minutes to go in the game, and the Stinker versus the Cardinals. So a little fantasy football advice here. If you got Matthew Stafford or Marvin Jones Jr. in your fantasy league, you might want to make sure you give him a start this week because Jones Jr. leads the Lions in receptions, yards, touchdowns, and catches of 20-plus yards. And the Giants have allowed the second-most passes of 20-plus yards in the NFL. So that sounds like a favorable matchup from Marvin Jones. Let's see who has who has him on, in my league, even. And uh, you're going to hear it 1,000 times today that Matthew Stafford has started in 134 straight games. He's been the fastest quarterback to 40,000 yards. You're going to hear it a million times today. And another thing to watch, oh, it's the turnovers. The turnovers, is uh, that, that's going to be a killer. Ooh, Marvin Jones is available 
I'm adding them right as we speak. Who should I drop, though? I'll let you know after the break. I'm going to look at that at the commercial break. But turnovers. Daniel Jones has to play better for the New York Giants. He's got 11 turnovers and five career starts. And as a result, the Giants have turned the ball over a league-high 18 times. And they have the second-worst turnover differential in the league. Miami is the worst. And unfortunately for them, the Detroit Lions' turnover differential is plus four. They're tied for fifth best in the league. And you heard it on the update before. Um, I, I thought it was significant as well. Daniel Jones saying that there is a sense of urgency in this building among the players and that the Giants need to get a win. He said, I think you feel the same sense of urgency. Everyone is working hard and everyone expects to win. And, you know, like with the little assist from TJ Reeves of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on that field goal call, final play of the game, when they played the, the Giants, how they lost on that field goal. And we said it here on the fan. I'm going to venture and I'm going to try and do this twice in one season. I'd keep an eye on Daniel Jones trying to force the ball into catastrophe. He's internalized the concept that there's a sense of urgency, everyone expects to win, etc. But he cannot show that on the field. He has to be cool, calm, collected, and don't panic. Because if this game comes down to, to Daniel Jones leading a touchdown drive to win the game, he's got to know what's a safe risk and what's not in terms of throwing the ball into a, a too tight of a window. Um, my player to watch is going to be Dayon uh, Buchanan, he's a new Giants linebacker. He was picked up from the waiver wire from the aforementioned Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They released him on October 9th. So a little bit of background info on him. He was originally a first-round pick, 27th overall. I think it was 2014. 75 regular season games, 56 starts. This guy, speaking of turnovers, he's a turnover forcer. He's forced seven fumbles, have five fumble recoveries, two interceptions, and one of which he returned for a touchdown. So my question is, why is he my player to watch so soon? Uh, Well, because he's got a level of familiarity because between him and the Giants defensive coordinator, James Betcher, because Betcher was the outside linebackers coach when Buchanan arrived in the Cardinals, and yeah, it was 2014. They were together for the next three seasons, Betcher as the defensive coordinator in in that role, and here we are again with the Giants as Betcher is the defensive coordinator, and Buchanan playing linebacker. And in that first season where Betcher was the D coordinator in in Arizona with Buchanan, that was 2015, Buchanan earned a 70.6 grade, which is good. And he finished in the top 20 in the league in solo tackles, assists, interceptions, and forced fumbles, which he was tied for sixth overall. And again, this is all under James Betcher, the defensive coordinator. So the Giants are entering today at 6.5, six and a half point underdogs. If you like decimals, 6.5. See, I think this is going to be a high scoring game because the Giants rank sixth and the Lions ranked seventh in points given up per game. So they give up a lot of points, both teams. So this is going to be like kind of like a shootout style, I'm thinking, between Stafford and, and the rookie Jones. I think the Giants pull this one off. I think the Giants are going to beat the Lions 31 to 24. And that's again later today where the 2 and 5 Giants take on the 2 3 and 1 Detroit Lions at 1 p.m. on Fox. 
and again, right here on WFAM. Now, I said before the last break that I was going to, uh, I posed the question, what do you want to see out of your team's giveaways? Like, what, what would you like to see? On uh, Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan, I got John. He says he wants, he's, his team is the Yankees, and he wants a Judge or a Torres jersey. It's going along with you. You said Emmanuel. He just gave me a look like, mm-hmm. Um, this one made me laugh out loud. and <laughs> Maybe it shouldn't have, but Billy Chapel, and he's at Baseball1727. He said the Mets, he would like them to give out checkbook covers with, a pics, with pics of the Wilponzies. You like that? <laughs> checkbook covers? That's why I laughed. A um, couple other ones. What else? Oh, someone wants lux- uh, Justin on Twitter, JP Schmick, he, 1981. He wants luxury suite tickets. Uh, don't we all? And um, Bob, BTAR1 on Twitter, he wants, he definitely wants a Giants jersey with various numbers, like Yankees bat day used to be with different signed bats, and you would trade your bat with another kid for your favorite player. Bat day is always the best day. I have, in my in my room, I have a, a Brett Gardner bat. And actually, my brother got, um, I think it was, was it Jason Giambi day or something? My brother got an autograph of Jason Giambi on a bat before, before uh, you know, batting practice uh, one day. So that's pretty cool. Mike Franco <laughs> at Francomania19 just 23 seconds ago sent this in. He would like the Mets giveaway to be a paper bag to put over his head. <laughs> that's too that's so harsh. That's so harsh. Uh, oh, man. Uh, so I, I, I like the good stuff. I, I like the jerseys. I, like I said, I use my passport holder still. Um, and that would be if it was Jets, Giants, Nets, Knicks. I just think that's a useful giveaway. I don't care what team it is. And it is a little special because Joe Girardi did hand it to me. That was pretty cool. Um, and let's go quickly to North Brunswick. Tom, you're on the fan. How's it going, Danielle? Okay, how are you? I'm all right. Um, real quick, um, you know what today is? October 27th in Met history. 33 years ago, they won the World Series. Wow. <laughs> Impressive. It's been so long. <laughs> 33 freaking years. <laughs> All right. What do you got for <laughs> anyway, me? Real quick. Okay, real quick. Um, I, and, uh, I'm very upset that they didn't uh, sign uh, you know, uh, Joe Girardi. But um, uh, whoever they get, I just hope they're a good manager. And on the World Series, it's gonna, the next two games are going to be great because you got these pitchers going, you know, like tonight's you know, matchup with Cole against um, uh, Scherzer. Yep. Washington has to win tonight or else they don't really have any chance. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree. And, and thanks for the call, Tom. And um, was it, I, I remember looking last time I was on the teams that have the best records at home throughout the regular season. I, I cannot remember the exact order, but the three were the Dodgers, the Astros and the Yankees. And if this series, like you said, if, if the nationals can't get this done, then it's going to be a very tough place to play in Houston. But as you've seen, the Nationals have done it. So I don't know. Maybe the pressure of playing the first ever World Series game in Washington maybe got to them. I'm not too sure. I I, I can't say. But it'd be interesting at least to see because there will be one game in Houston. And we'll put it all back on the table. Giants, Jets, Knicks, Nets, Yankees, Mets, all of it on the table after the break. On McCartan after midnight, WFAN, get your calls in. And Emmanuel's waiting to hear from you. 
Sports Radio 101.9 FM and Sports Radio 66 WFAM. And I'm Danielle McCartan back with you guys. Good morning. It's 5.06 a.m., so good morning on Sunday, football Sunday, October 27th. This is McCartan after midnight. Technically McCartan in the morning. Hey, look at that. We got another M there. I like the alliteration. That's all. Um, we are careening towards our last, I don't know, 45 minutes or so, a little more, here at the WFAN studios in lower Manhattan in New York. And everything's back up on the table. So if you want to give me a call, it's 877-337-6666. Um, and we have two late entries into what do you think would be the best giveaway and one was on Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan, and that was from Joe Scalso, and he wants a Mets refund when they lose. And Nick, he's still listening. Nick, at, uh, this is on Twitter, at Just Follow MLB. Uh, this is pretty cool. I, I kind of like this idea. He wants a Yankees player autograph, and he explains it as a basic six-by-four six pitcher. Each player signs X amount, and each person that walks through the door gets one at random, or whatever, the first X amount of people get it at random. And that would be kind of cool because if you walk in, you get, I don't know, so-and-so's autograph and you so, the person sitting next to you. Uh, I don't know. I, I think there would be some wheeling and dealing going on in the crowd, I would think. If you get if I get an Aaron Judge and the guy next to me gets, I don't know, let's say a Luke Voigt, you know? So um, the song that I, I introed with in the opening monologue hours ago for the Yankees was Post Malone's I'm not I'm no good at goodbyes. I'm no good at goodbyes because the Yank- Yankees certainly are not good at goodbyes. They are not playing in the World Series tonight after losing in a cruel, heartbreaking, rip your heart out fashion to the Houston Astros a few days ago. When DJ LeMayu hit that home run, it was the top of the ninth, and it barely cleared the wall. You had the sense that the Yankees were mounting a little bit of a comeback. To eventually take that game. The momentum totally shifted with that one swing of the bat. And you felt it all the way back on your couch in New York. And in my case, New Jersey. You just felt it. But then Jose Altuve had another idea. And with one swing of the bat, Jose Altuve ended the Yankee season. One which, everybody, let's be honest. The Yankees were expected to still be playing tonight and tomorrow in the fall classic. And with one swing of that bat. Jose Altuve sent his Astros into orbit to the World Series and the Yankees universe spiraling into oblivion with more questions and answers for a team that Brian Cashman said in his closing press conference, and this is a quote, he said, first and foremost, did we have a championship team? This was a championship caliber team. Now some, in my words, now an essential question surrounding the Yankees in this offseason. I sat and, and I thought of, Eight just popped right into my mind. I just wrote them down as fast as I could. The first question, the three most important would be, which free agents are, are the Yankees bringing back? Can the Yankees find a suitor to take on Giancarlo Stanton's contract? And do they want to? And does the we have a great bullpen strategy actually work? Other questions could be the question mark in general of Aaron Hicks. Out eight to ten months with Tommy John surgery. Who fills this spot maybe could be the question. Um, another question could be how much are the Yankees willing to spend on any one of the top flight starting pitchers on the market this winter? They have to come away with one of them. Who is it and for how much? And did Didi Gregorius, 
the heir to the shortstop after Derek Jeter play his last game in pinstripes in a loss? And how about we answer this? Why did Aaron Judge and Gary Sanchez average a combined 134 with runners in scoring position, this ALCS? And finally, which, if any, prospects and or young players is Brian Cashman willing to part with? And again, these are just the top eight that kind of just came off the top of my mind as I sat down and, and thought about this. And so for a championship-caliber team, the Yankees have a lot of important moves to make or not make as the weather turns colder. And the song, again, I, I guess I, I picked a Post Malone song for the Mets in my opening monologue, Circles. And this was stuck in my head all day yesterday, and and. For good reason, I guess, because I was thinking about all this stuff. And I feel like the Mets are kind of walking in circles because their managerial search is going around in circles. Because who seemed like the front runner for the job, the most experienced candidate among all the Mets called back for a second round of interviews, Joe Girardi just signed a three-year deal, dollar amount to be determined, with the Phillies earlier this week. And the World Series winning manager elected to work with Aaron Nola Bryce Harper, and JT Realmuto over Jacob deGrom, who may be repeating as a Cy Young winner this year. He's got my vote, but I don't really have one, but he would. Pete Alonzo and Jeff McNeil. And all Mets fans are still scratching their heads. Maybe it wasn't about the talent at all, but maybe it had everything to do with upper management. And I mean, how else could you justify the Mets swinging and missing on the only sure thing candidate? And not only did he not sign with the Mets, Joe Girardi is now residing in the NL East, and they play the Phillies 100 times, right? He's going to keep reminding the Mets over and over and over the mistake in not signing him. And that just furthermore exacerbated the level of distrust between Mets fans and upper management, including with hotshot Hollywood GM Brody Van Wagenen. Because if the Mets plan to choose a manager with zero managerial experience at the major league level, which all five remaining known candidates have no experience at the major league level managing, then why not just let Mickey Calloway play out his third and final year of the contract? Because we hear it all the time, players seem to get the best production out of their contract year. Does it work the same for managers? And who possibly could that bombshell candidate be? We talked tonight about A-Rod, Jessica Mendoza. I, I would support her a million times. But... Maybe there isn't one at all. Because Andy Martino tweeted on the 22nd of October about this mystery candidate. Two days later, the Phillies announced the selection of Joe Girardi, who happened to be the number one target, I think, unanimous selection among all Mets fans. So maybe this bombshell candidate is just a distraction created to divert attention from the fact that the Mets whiffed on the most experienced candidate out of the entire bunch. And now the Mets have about five options, or they do have five options. Eduardo Perez is one of them. You, most recently you've seen him on, he's on Sirius XM and he does ESPN analysis. Uh, Derek Shelton's another name. Carlos Beltran. I ran a poll earlier tonight asking Mets fans and I guess New York baseball fans in general who would be the best fit out of all these names and Carlos Beltran came out on top, and it wasn't close. 
A third remaining choice for the Mets. These are actual choices, actual finalists. Tim Bogar or Luis Rojas. And I'll say it again, again and again, that I wanted Joe Girardi to manage the Mets. But we have to get past that now because, let's think about it, he's not going to be managing the Mets. Although it was a perfect match. So my choice... And I did a deep dive into this. I did a lot of research in this. And, and my choice, and I, I would never get behind somebody that I didn't think, I don't know, could do it, you know? I wouldn't just flippantly say a name and then have to back that up. So I did a lot of research. And my second choice, let's go this way, my second choice would be Luis Rojas because he's familiar to the team. He's stats-based. Um, and I just... I. I so what? He's young. So what? Age has nothing to do with it. But my main choice for the Mets out of the remaining five candidates would actually be Tim Bogar. And you've seen him. He's He's got World Series experience right now. He's in the first base box, coach's box for the um, for the Nationals. Um, I just think that he's learned on the job from Joe Madden, from Bobby Valentine, from Terry Francona. You guys know who those names are, right? And um, 66 Sports Radio 1019 FM, WFAN, WFAN FM, New York. And I'm Danielle McCartan back with you. McCartan after midnight or McCartan in the morning. I like both of them. Um, I want to get right back into this right now. So I want to talk real quick to Nets and Knicks takeaways um, for the season so far. And I, I have not been able to weigh in on this, which is the cooler New York basketball team. I think it's an interesting concept. And I took my famous Twitter poll, and 55% of you guys said the Nets are the cooler team. Now, the Nets moved from, obviously, New Jersey to Brooklyn for the 2012-2013 season. So I took a look at the past seven complete seasons in New York basketball. The Nets have made the playoffs four times out of those seven seasons since the move, and the Knicks have made the playoffs one time in the last seven seasons. So my question then became, would the Nets be as cool as they are perceived to be in Brooklyn if they still played in New Jersey. And my choices were not a chance and yes. And 71% of you guys said not a chance. <laughs> oh, well. Well, if I'm a player, and I think about this, I thought about this as a player's standpoint, I think I'm picking the Nets because for this reason, the fact that the Nets training facility is a 13-minute car ride with traffic. It's 3.2 miles from the Barclays Center. That's a huge plus for me as a player. The Knicks training facility is in Tarrytown, which, as you know, is a 46-minute car ride with tolls and traffic, and it's 27.8 miles away from the Garden. It's not convenient at all. And if you're a Knicks player, where do you live? If I'm a Nets player, I'm living right in Brooklyn or in lower Manhattan, the farthest. The Nets also have that cool court makeover, some cool colors. But the Knicks celebrity row is pretty unrivaled, though. So let's get the best of both worlds. Let's head out to Brooklyn to talk Knicks with Omar. How are you? Good. How Good are you? I'm good. First, uh, let Brooklyn Nets enjoy the, a little bit of variety as a fan base, as a little brother of New York Knicks. Please, I hope that they have a fan base, that they don't have to get out of business like in New Jersey, that they are a second visit to the New York Knicks and they have a fan base, please. You know, like, uh, 
this is uh, uh, this is the team that uh, was going to the NBA final and not selling out the building in NBA final. So sorry for the uh, past. Uh, you might say they are in Brooklyn, in New York, and if they cannot make it in New York, then they are not going to that franchise does not deserve to be there. I hope that uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, whatever they, they want to succeed as a Brooklyn Nets, uh, hope for the best. Uh, and uh, I can see the maximum. A uh, 31 years old uh, Kevin Durant coming next year, and uh, look at uh, the closest example that I can see with the Achilles injury is Michael Conley. Uh, what Michael Conley is going to br- bring it in? Uh, he, he's a jump shooter, Kevin Durant is, so he he will succeed a little bit more. But uh, do you think he's going to be the same player? And Michael Conley is the same player that he was before the injury, so people can. Uh, go through it. Yeah, this is a worse contract. Uh, I was betting. I went to the game last night, right, uh, with the Knicks. And finally, I was first two games. I was saying about it that I'm going to count every game that Fisdale is coaching. The first two games, I put it on Fisdale that he has an image of uh, Fisdale has an image that whatever he likes. As a player, he wants to give that, that those players the minutes, right? Right, right? And yesterday, last night, he heard it from the crowd. We want Frank. We want it. Listen, Frank is not uh, the greatest coming of uh, 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 the Yes, but he, uh, at least people want to see that what the other player can do when Dennis Smith Jr. is struggling. Uh, he came to the first floor. When he came on the uh, third quarter again, I was sitting with my son. I said, here goes the game. That's the, there was no reason for him to bring it in. There was a, one play when he has a wide open lane. Nobody was guarding him. And he backed up to hit a three-pointer. His confidence is so low, but Frank Milikina, he doesn't want to play. David Fisdal, stop playing favoritism and try to win ball game. You already have one blown season. You basically tank the season. And look, Brooklyn Knicks and the New York Knicks had the same record after, I think, 22 games or 32 games. And then Brooklyn Nets, because they were playing hard, they went on to the playoffs and Knicks were tanking for Zion Williams. Zion Williams is out for two months and you got RJ Barrett. Okay, Omar. He he got... I I wanted to see how loud he was going to get. Yeah, uh, you got RJ Barrett and he is is the... uh, the shining star of of this Knicks team so far, twenty six points tonight, and Frank Nilakina he he didn't get many minutes tonight, and he did a good job guarding Kemba Walker when they played against each other in the uh, the FIBA World Cup this summer. They had a listen. The Knicks had a players only meeting after the loss tonight. Let's see, let's see what happens from there. Eric Ronkonkoma, you're on the fan. Hey, good morning, Danielle. How are you? Good. How are you, Eric? Good, good. You know, the, you ran through that choice of uh, the, or that list of you know potentials for the Mets manager. Well, those are and, the, those oh, are the five finalists for sure that okay. we know about. Okay. <clears throat> you know, the the one thing that that gets me nervous, and, and and you know, none of them have been referenced this way, but you know, in the past, you you would hear like like Mickey Calloway was a pitching specialist or guru, however you want to put it. Right. You know, a lot of these guys now who get labeled these specialists or you know, have <clears throat> or whatever, like a you know, quarterback whisperer or whatever. Yeah. You know, the majority, the majority of them tend to be nowhere near. I mean, look at Todd Bowles was supposed to be 
you know, a defensive specialist, and quite honestly, his defense was terrible, you know, on there. I mean, so I'm, I'm hoping, you know, like if Bogar, I, I believe you said, was, was your first choice yes. on there? Yes, mm-hmm. Okay, I and and he does have some coaching experience on there, so even though it's not the major league level, right? Yeah, you know, I'd rather at least feel better about that on there. You know, knowing that someone's at least got some kind of experience on there, because I, I just don't want to hear that. Well, you know, their, their strength is this, but so many other aspects of the team are beyond them. You know, and. uh yeah, it's just a shame that uh, you know, like, like you said, that uh, they couldn't get uh, Girardi on the team on it. You know, I mean, the yeah, even Showalter. I mean, I believe they haven't even spoken to Showalter. Am I correct? In I that? think you're right. Yes, I have not not seen that they have met. Correct. Yeah, I, I just don't. You know, and, and you know, the, we the fans, it's kind of sad how it seems like we know that they don't want to pick somebody who has the ability to possibly upend. The, the GM on there, you know, when they won't, you know, we all know this and, and yet they'll just, they'll still go and, uh, you know, I wouldn't say handicap the team, but hamper their ability, uh, to win on there. So it's just, it's just kind of distressing on there. So anyway, yeah, yeah, I just want to throw that out there. You have a good rest of the morning there, Danielle. And thanks, Eric. Appreciate that. And, and that's, that is the idea. That's, that's the Met fan uh, mentality. And unfortunately they missed out on Joe Girardi. And now the Mets fans, they're going to go into the misery state and they're going to start convincing themselves that another person is better suited for the job that everybody knows Joe Girardi was a perfect fit for. John, you're calling from In Your Truck. <laughs> hey, Danielle. How are you? Uh, good. Um, what teams do you root for, the Mets or the Yankees? Really, honestly, I know this is a cop-out. I root for both of both. them. Both? Yeah, uh, really, seriously. Danielle. I do. Come on. All right, what do you coach also? Um, softball I, team? Well, I, yes, I used to coach softball, but I coach volleyball, too, as well. Oh, okay. No, I just wonder. You always yeah. call yourself a coach. Yeah, I wonder yeah. what you do. But yeah. I heard you last couple Sundays. Good job. I'm uh, old, and uh, <laughs> I root for the Mets, Okay. the Giants, Rangers, and Knicks. Okay. I hope the Knicks lose a lot of games so we get a good player next year. And uh, the Mets, I hold grudges. Not, you know, like I hate the guy, but... Carlos Beltran, when he struck out, I don't want him as uh, our coach. And uh, that's not a, a – he might be a great coach because he struck out. I, I'm mad at him. But uh, I would like – I heard on Friday that uh, A-Rod, you know, they threw it out in the morning. I, I thought that would be great. Out. I threw out A-Rod way long ago. They're stealing my, my yep. stuff. I, I go back to the tweet. I, I could retweet that one. I would nice. love it. Well, I don't know how you tweet, but – I'll take uh, I'll take you your word. You did a good. That's a good pick. A Rod would be. I mean, he's a, a ball player. He's a baseball. He's smart. Yep. And uh, they, I bet you the guys would play real hard for him. And then we could have Tony be uh, our manager. You know, his cousin Tony. He could be the trainer, and uh, everybody would be healthy. Are you there? Yeah, yeah. I'm still there. I got yeah, it. Yep. Yeah. And then, um, oh, and the last thing. One time I. Like I root for the Knicks. I, I met John Starks at a casino once, and I I couldn't. Everybody in the NBA must be huge, because I always thought John Starks was small. But uh, I'm six two. He was six four. So I said, Oh, I didn't know you were this big. And uh, and he goes, Yeah. And I go, I really I like the Knicks, and uh, I wish you won. And then um, he was a pretty nice guy. And I said, I last one. I go, I don't want to make you mad, but did you miss any shots tonight? 
And he goes, ha ha. But he was smiling. So that ended up pretty well. But have a good, what football team you like? Honestly, I do root for both. I root for both. Oh, my God. I do. I'm a New York fan. I am <laughs> a New York fan. Smokes, kiddo. <laughs> uh, John, right, thanks, thanks for the call. Work. Thank yep. you. Okay, bye. bye. Is it so bad? Everybody gets on me. I root for, I, I literally root for both teams and all teams. I really do. Right now, I'm sitting here in a, in a I was going to say New Jersey, a Brooklyn Nets polo shirt, but I root for the Knicks, too. I root for the Jets. I root for the Giants, the Yankees, the Mets. I am all in on New York sports. I really am. Really. And don't pose me a question next that says, oh, would you rather root for the, if the, if the Giants played the Jets in the Super Bowl, who would you root for? Well, that's not going to happen, first of all. <laughs> it's a very hard time to get to the Super Bowl, and neither team is really destined for the Super Bowl anytime soon. So let's, let's not go there. Let's, let's not go there. Joe, you're up against the clock, but I want to take your call. You're on the fan. Hey, Daniel, how you doing? I just want to ask a quick, quick question. Yeah. Why doesn't David Fisdell have one set starting lineup? You know, he always, you know, uses different players. I want to give uh, these guys one job, you know? Yeah, yeah, Joe, thanks for the call. And, and I think from a coaching perspective that you kind of look at matchups, you know, in a way. So, you know, if so-and-so plays well against so-and-so or defends him well, then that's the line that you kind of go with. I don't know if that's the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do, but just that is the coach's perspective. You know, you're playing your matchups, you're playing maybe your statistics and your analytics in a way, even bas- even in basketball. Oh, God. Okay, we got to hit the break. More of your calls after the break. And everything, like I said, is on the table. All New York sports. I am a fan of all the New York sports. It's Danielle McCartan on the fan. Listen to Giants football today at 1 p.m. As Big Blue is in Detroit to take on the Lions exclusively on your flagship station for the New York Giants. The Fan Sports Radio 1019 FM and Sports Radio 66. WFAN and WFAN-FM New York. I like this little throwback Jay-Z here on the on the, uh, the lead-in. I'm Danielle McCartan. McCartan after midnight. Now we're McCartan in the morning now. We got we got the double alliteration going on. And just to, to get back to something I was just talking about, how the, the, one of the callers mentioned that the morning show mentioned A-Rod on Friday. He said that the timeline was Friday that they mentioned A-Rod as maybe being a manager of the Mets. Obviously, this is not happening. This is fantasy managerial. But I went back to the tweets. On the 22nd of October, I wrote, David Wright, bench coach, is my choice for that. Imagine if the bombshell candidate is Alex Rodriguez. That was on the 22nd. That was last Tuesday. Morning show. Phil in Orange County, you're on the fan. Good morning. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. I'll give you a name that uh, I don't know if you you heard about, but uh, he's been interviewed. A uh, former student of mine from uh, Suffering High School in Suffering, New York. Jim Flaherty. His name is Tony, his name is Tony DeFrancesco. Tony DeFrancesco's yes. got about uh, 25, 30 years of minor league experience. He basically has coached most of the guys that you see in the World Series for Houston, and he's the currently the AAA coach for the uh, Mets. Now, he, does he want the job? Because, I mean, that's... He, do, he, he does want the job. He's been okay. interviewed for the job. And I think that, uh, you know, these big names are great, but uh, I think you need, uh, you need somebody who uh, basically... Uh, can relate to a lot of these guys, and um, Tony's had extensive experience, uh, like I said, in the minors. With the and uh, last last year, he did a real good job at Syracuse. So that's one person that uh, no one's mentioned, but uh, he has been interviewed for the job, and I think he'd do a good job. Thank you, I appreciate that. 
Um, maybe he's the bombshell candidate. We don't know. Is there one? And and obviously by Jim Flaherty, I meant John Flaherty. It's 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 kind of late um, for me, but yes, John Flaherty is who I meant there. Uh, I don't know, but I've seen De Francesco. I've seen his name. I've seen him in the dugout, I believe. Um, I don't know, but what has been leaked to the media and has been talked about, he is not on the list of candidates that has gotten a second round of interview. So I don't know. I really, I, I don't know. And everybody is, is ragging me on Twitter now. Like, how can I root for more than one team? Okay, well, maybe I can clarify. I I grew up as a Yankee fan because I was on the Yankees in my t-ball team. I wore number seven on my t-ball team. And I remember I asked my dad, well, dad, who wears number seven? And he said, oh, that's Mickey Mantle, but that number's retired. I said, what does that mean? And then all of a sudden right there, I was hooked. And I grew up as a Jets fan. Um, I loved one of my favorite players of all time. Winkerbet, loved him, still do. Um, and even though the Jets were terrible, like the Rich Kotai ear is terrible. I don't I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, but now, being in this position that I'm in, I really I really and truly do root for all of the teams. I, I want to help fix all of these teams. And that's kind of the angle that I take for all this, really. Jeff in Jersey City, you're on the fan. Hi, McCartney after midnight. <laughs> love your show. Thank you. I love it. It's fabulous. And I love you. You, you know, I, really, I think you've become my favorite. Um, your honesty, your sincerity, your passion. And or, and you don't, you're not like everybody else. You have your own opinion. You don't, when the company me, me, um, uh, memo is handed out to you uh, in the morning, I think you give it a quick look and you crumple it up and throw it in the trash can. No, no yeah, memo. Really? This is just all my own research. All my, it comes no, out of my own no, head. No, I know. I know. You think for yourself. Whereas so many others, it's the same thing. They all have the same opinions. You have your own opinions, and they're all well thought out. And you explain why. And it's not boring. It's interesting. I I, I hang on your every word. <laughs> Thanks. So, uh, I appreciate. It. Now it's my yeah. turn to hang on your words. You got the Yankees point oh, okay. you want to make? Yeah, 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 yeah. What um, do you got? I had a qu- qu- question, and also. Um, do you do uh, and I'm what you also you, you're so unique. You you mentioned something about uh, the the summer game, the fever game, where um, uh, Neil Aquino stole the game from uh, Kemba Walker and put them down, and he won the medal, and he played a great um, you know um, a, a medal game. Uh, so I like Neil Aquino also, but here's the question: because I I, I have so little hope nowadays, but who do you think? Uh, in our lifetimes again, uh, that the the Mets or the Yankees will win the World Series again? If so, who will win first? I mean, how will it be done? It seems hopeless. Well, that's a good question. Thanks for that, Jeff. In our lifetime, you know, next. I mean, it will happen. Eventually, one of them will win. But the question more interesting to me is who will do it first? (sighs) I got to say the Yankees only because they've gotten so close so recently, you know, I know the Mets played in the World Series in what was it, 2015, but the Yankees were literally one game away from it. Um, and what with Joe Girardi, what two years ago, and they were in the ALCS this year. And the fact that the Mets are going to have a new commander in chief, I think that needs an adjustment period and everything. So, I think the Yankees, I think the Yankees are going to do it first, and I'm going to say. If they can get a starter, it's a real starting pitcher, number one, I think they could do it next year. Steve in Manhattan, you might be the last phone call of the night. You're on the fan. 
You mean the call's going to last like 10 minutes? No. Well, we have the, the outro music at, at 53, so. Oh, okay, right. <laughs> well, you know what? First first of all, let me say something. I'm going to pay you a humongous compliment. Danielle, you are going to be the next Howard Cosell, all right? That's how good you are. And you can roof anybody you want. I'm not one of those people. That's just that macho talk with people talking big. They're, you know, hit them with a fastball. Meanwhile, those guys have gone home and cried to their mommies. <laughs> but I'm going to give a little business economics 101 here. Okay. The, um, uh, this is what with baseball, and I'm against the luxury tax, but in economics, the Yankees need the other baseball teams. But Coca-Cola does not need Pepsi. You get the point I'm making? The Yankees could easily go over that uh, you know, the luxury tax and sign these players. It's Cashman, and it's really Hal Steinbrenner, and who knows who he's answering to him. He passed on all the top pitches in the last five years, and those guys have either – Won a World Series or currently in a World Series. I don't know what's all the names, you know, Max, you Corbin, Relander, uh, yeah, Corbin, yep. Cole. We know all the names. Yep. He passed on them only because of money now, folks. Don't let them get away with that. And I agree. You know, I didn't like the Stanton thing, the trade for him, because that money I knew would knock Bryce Harper out of the box. You wanted Harper. Yep. Don't, I said, don't sign CC. I know everyone's going to talk about the guy who smashes up the dugout with the bat. God, I didn't want him signed either. Yep, me neither. I wanted him to. I, I wanted to go after a big-time pitcher. Two of them you'd need now. And go with that bullpen. You could score enough runs, and we'd still be playing baseball right now. And, Danielle, let me tell you something. You are going to be the next Howard Coso. Should we keep the call going on or should I get off? <laughs> no, you can, you can – you, whatever. Keep going? Well, I mean, I, I, I guess – I'll talk about the Jets for a second. Look, yeah, go ahead. This guy, this guy gazed to me. I, I, really, I really don't like him. I just – some people just rub you the wrong way. Yeah. He rubs you the wrong way. The way he is, he looks like he would turn. He would throw his players. I hate to use that he term. Already but he, has, turn on but he already has. But he has. He already has. He has. And he does something like that. But the thing is, folks, you hear these guys in the talk radio saying, oh, well, you know, you can make plays without offensive line. Yeah. You can make plays with a 400-pound lineman sitting on your head. This kid Jones <laughs> out there in the Meadowlands, is, if no offensive line, you're never going to see him develop. Yep. Want me to keep going, Daniel? No, see, no. <laughs> Good, Steve. Thanks for the call. I, and, and he made two great points there. One with the offensive line. I've always been preaching, forget this Kansas City model that Mike Francesa was preaching. I, I like the Tennessee model because the Tennessee Titans took two offensive linemen in the, in the first round in two consecutive years. Uh, Taylor Lewin, or Luan, and, and uh, Jack Conklin. And unfortunately, they don't have the quarterback to go with them now that we've found out that Marcus Mariota really isn't the real deal. But that's the model you need to be following, Giants and Jets. You need the Tennessee Titans model. Build out from the offensive line in, this, in today's day and age, in today's NFL. I don't care how mobile you are. You need an offensive line in front of you. And to go back to what he said about the, you know, the Yankees' past uh, on all the pitchers, Corbin and Verlander and, and uh, Cole, you know, all the names, right? Well, Brian Cashman, as I'm sure you've heard, got a little testy um, with Sweeney and when he was asked about this, passing on them. And, in fact, he didn't categorize it as passing. He said that he made offers, and there was no way for him to know about what the other offers were, and they just got outbid. We're talking about the New York Yankees getting outbid. Um, question mark? And And the Yankees are so far ahead, like... Like I said before, if if they were to get go over the threshold to get a, a, a Cole, for example, because I think he would be my number one. Next week I'll have that list for you. Um, same time next week, two to six. But <clears throat> for him 
Cole, I mean, I would break the bank for that. I would go over the threshold. I would win one, two, or even three World Series championships right in a row before all my big name players got the got got to boot. Judge, Torres, Sanchez. I mean, come on, man. What are we doing? Yankees need to go over that threshold and go and get Cole. That's it. That's the end of it. So thank you to all the callers. Could not have done it without you guys tonight. Five hours is a long time, and you guys kept it going at all times. I think there wasn't any time where they uh, had zero on the board. It's been a fun marathon, five hours. Love coming here, talking to you guys. Thanks again to Chris Sheeran from the Yes Network for joining us tonight. And a great job to Emmanuel behind the glass. Also to Marco on the updates. Enjoy NFL Week 8 action. The New York Giants. Uh, are taking on the 2-3-1 and one Detroit Lions, 1 p.m. on Fox. Radio calls right here on WFAN. 1-5 Jets are in Jacksonville, 1 p.m. on CBS. See you all then.